Is positional versatility all it's cracked up to be? I'll ask Brent Hershey, co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, May the 4th. It's show number 15 of the 2018 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Friday full edition for you. We'll have our feature interview with Brent Hershey, co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com, discussing positional versatility, an assessment of the new BaseballHQ.com pitcher matchups tool, and some prospects he scouted as well as his boons and banes. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols, looking at Josh Hader, Johnny Cueto, Ryan McMahon, and more. And from the American League, Jock Thompson looks at roster shakeups in Toronto, Minnesota, and Los Angeles. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business, in the Minor League Minute. Baseball HQ Minor Leagues analyst Rob Gordon reports on Detroit outfield prospect Kristen Stewart. In our frequent flyer commentary, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky looks at Mets first baseman Peter Alonso. And in our pitcher matchup segment, Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick looks at Houston right-hander Charlie Morton in Arizona to face the Diamondbacks right-hander Zach Greinke, as well as some other weekend matchups. Later in the show, I'll have our weekly talk with Todd, asking Todd Zola about Josh Hader and about benching starters. And finally, in Master Notes, I'll be talking about pine tar and Bowery units. It's another Big Friday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? April showers might actually bring some May flowers and fewer canceled games. We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Friday News and Comment Edition, it's part one of our feature expert interview with Brent Hershey, co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com. Brent, welcome to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks, Patrick. Good to be here. How are your teams doing so far? Um, at this early stage, uh, you know, it's, it's overly tempting, of course, to check them out every day, which I do, of course. Uh, but it's also uh, important to keep in mind that we... You know, we're only a month plus in, uh, but I, I, a mix of good and bad. I have uh, uh, a second placer in a CBS uh, kind of experts league. Um, I'm dead last in my home league after winning it last year, um, and I'm uh, near the bottom in a, in a tout league and a, and a mix of uh, a couple of score sheet leagues. I'm doing okay, and so it's early, um, but for the most part, uh, hanging in there and looking for any any. Uh, early season moves that would make sense for me to move up in your home league you said you won last year and your last this year was is it a keeper league where you had to sell out to to win the title last year yes pretty much uh that's kind of you know in the in that home league anyway that's sort of the uh that's sort of the cycle it's tough to kind of tough to repeat and yes i traded away a couple uh a couple uh young keepers to kind of secure it there at the end and uh you know i i try to have i I try to break that string and have hope that i can compete every year but there was a uh i didn't handle the auction very well i had some technical stuff that tripped me up uh 
like a computer crashing the, the uh, morning of the draft. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so we are, uh, we have shifted early on uh, into kind of rebuild mode in that league for sure. When you knew that was going to be the case going into the auction this year, I expect uh, especially that you're going to be uh, rebuilding. Do you t- then uh, alter the way that you run your auction to maybe pick up some high-priced talent that you know you'll be able to flip uh, during the year to get back some of the uh, young underpriced talent that uh, allowed you to do that in reverse the previous year? Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Um, uh, cl- closers in this re- in this league for some reason go crazy high, and so I um, uh, made sure I got one of those. I have Chapman on my team. Uh, I decided to keep a really expensive Jose Altuve, knowing that uh, I could easily move him um, partway you know, through the season to someone um, if I if I needed to, and um, so I actually traded. Traded Altuve uh, last week um, for a couple of players, one of which was uh, Eloy Jimenez, a uh, 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 pro- outfield prospect for the White Sox, um, and a cheap closer. And um, yes, so we've we've started that uh, rebuild kind of uh, in earnest in that uh, in that home league. Eloy Jimenez, uh, does, you, does your league have these uh, greatly deflated prices for keepers uh, that allows you to hang on to a guy like Jimenez once he ca- gets called up for two, three, four years at a really low price? Yes, we do. And so, uh, and so, when you can get a superstar, or, or, or when you, when you can get a superstar uh, like a Trout or a Betts or something like that. Uh, coming up to the minors like that, he'll he'll remain on that team for several years. Um, actually, interestingly enough, that same league uh, next season will be the first season that uh, Mike Trout will actually go up for bid <laughs> because uh, with the in with the deflated prices and then kind of how we structure the long term contracts, he's he's been uh, I think he's changed organizations once or twice um, within our league, but has never been. Never been brought up at the auction, so that that should be uh, uh, a fun spectacle <laughs> with that group uh, next April. When I used to play in a home league, it was a keeper league as well, and every so often there'd be a kind of a groundswell of support for a rules change that would say that there should be some kind of maximum three or four years that a guy could uh, be in that situation where you get to hang on to him. Uh, just for context, in our league, uh, Mike Trout or any young player like that coming up would be assigned a $5 contract if he, we had a minor league draft. And uh, then it was five, $5 for the first two years and then five additional dollars per added year. And so the guy who got him, I think, raised him to, to $35 or something like that. Still a profitable price to have him, but he, you know, he's still on that same original team. And, and there's a lot of people who say, you know what, as, as good as it is that you benefit from having this guy uh, through your own wisdom or blind luck, in my opinion, of getting him in the minor league draft, there's no way he should be stuck on a team for seven, eight, nine years. Yeah, no, and that's uh, yes, I, I uh, can see, I can see that point. The, the group that I'm with, you know, uh, there and you know enjoys that for the most part. Uh, they're not super uh, uh, high. They're not uh, you know high end kind of prospect guys. We only have several slots there. Uh, it's come up from time to time, um, and in and in this, you know, in this league, uh, which sounds similar to 
to uh, what you described. I think uh, you know the the guy signed him to a long term contract or whatever, and so the price was uh, you know he's gotten great value <laughs> out of that uh, for all yeah. those years. So it's 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 kind of uh, sort of an accepted thing for us uh, now. We've done some other rule change tweaks uh, here and there um, to adjust, and there's always always that sort of discussion each year. Um, but that's one that we've hung on to for whatever reason. In your role as the basically the editor in chief at BaseballHQ.com, you see a lot of content that's generated by our staff, the uh, analysts and writers, and uh, as a result, I'm sure you're uh, very aware of the bigger trends that are going on in the game. Uh, has anything happened so far this year in the big leagues that has caused you to think that there might be significant effect on outcomes this year and perhaps ramifications for future years? Yeah, I mean the interesting thing. Um you know, that, that's happening, uh, is this rise in strikeouts. Um, now is that gonna, is that gonna hold all year? Is that, uh, you know, is, is that just a, uh, something that's come with the cold weather here in the Northeast, all that kind of thing. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's something that I'll be, that we'll, all of us analysts will be kind of tracking in the, in the, in the major league game, um, and then trying to, as you say, sort of adjust um, and and give our kind of thoughts on um, what that means um, for us as fantasy players. Is it just a uh, you know kind of recalibration if it if it continues uh, of of, of uh, the amount of strikeouts or or K per nine, whatever you use to kind of uh, win your league, uh, or is there something? Are there other kind of second level effects that we uh, that are worth looking into, um, but that's the main. I mean, that's the main thing I see here through the first uh, five, six weeks. I think that could affect things. I mean, we're still, um, still kind of, I think, uh, thinking about how to how to deal with the whole ten day DL thing from last year, and we, um, you know, we talked about that in the uh, Ron Chandler talked about that in the intro of the baseball forecaster, and and uh, there's been content on the site and some of our. Um, Live events about uh, you know the particularities of of dealing with that. So those uh, those two things I think are are things that we keep uh, keep in mind um, and kind of watch as uh, as the season develops. Assuming that both of those trends get established as the way things are in the new environment of uh, big league baseball, what can fantasy owners start thinking about now? Do you think that will help them manage that situation in the future? Uh, I think just being just being aware, uh, especially with the strikeouts, uh, kind of being aware of that narrative and following that through the season. I mean, is that uh, is is that kind of rise? Is it is it going to hold steady for the whole year? Um, and and is there uh, are there ways of of looking at um, uh, why that sort of jump has happened? Are there certain? I mean, is, is that jump in strikeouts coming from, uh, for instance, you know, mainly starting pitchers that are getting uh, that are getting more strikeouts? Is it is it these uh, Josh Hader type, you know, uh, couple inning reliever guys uh, that are just popping up more often? Um, and is is uh, depending on your league parameters are those kind of 
setup and middle reliever high strikeout guys, um, you know, m- more valuable or undervalued in your league as a, as a um, in relation to how other uh, other owners are valuing them. Um, so those type of things, I I think is is with that strikeout specifically, is uh, just kind of monitoring that and um, uh, you know maybe maybe reading maybe reading uh, some of our good researchers uh, take on that as the as the year goes on. Could also be uh, pine tar and the increased spin that we've been reading about in the papers. Uh, that'll be the subject of my master notes a little later on. Uh, we're talking with Brent Hershey. This is Baseball HQ Radio and Patrick Davin. And Brent, in your uh, GM's office column at BaseballHQ.com, you discussed multi-position players, and you said, using the Phillies as an example, they might not be making the best use of their roster, at least from a fantasy perspective, because of a multi-position player. What did you mean by that? Well, I, th- I yeah, I use the Phillies as an example um, because uh, they specifically had um, a couple uh, young outfielders that um, that I think we uh, kind of before the season assumed that uh, would gar- start to garner enough regular at bats so that so that we as fantasy owners can kind of uh, you know put a just be able to evaluate uh, better what kind of player they are, and that's. Uh, Aaron Altair and, and Nick Williams are the two that I'm thinking of. Um, what happened in that specific situation is that uh, with the new manager, Gabe Kapler, coming in, um, he was from the get-go kind of talking about uh, flexibility, uh, guys playing different positions. Um, you saw that when they signed Carlos Santana and moved Hoskins, who everyone kind of just figured was going to be a fixture at first base, uh, moved Hoskins out to left field. Um during spring training, uh, Scott Kingery, one of their, you know, their top prospects who came up through the system as a, as a second baseman, um, just continued to hit and play, uh, play really well and, and was athletic enough that they, they were able to move him around um, during spring training and play him a little bit at shortstop, play him some in the outfield, uh, play him at third base. Um, and, that, and then obviously in late spring training, as we all know, they – uh, they signed him to kind of a, a major league contract, me, and he was, uh, in this case anyway, was going to make the team. And so, in, in getting, uh, you know, in getting enough at bats for Kingery, uh, obviously it's a it's a zero sum game, right? I mean, the the, the playing time has got to be, and and uh, one of the downsides is that it uh, because he's been playing the outfield, uh, Altair and Williams have not been getting as many at bats. So that's what I kind of just. Uh, looked at, and I con- contrasted that with when we go into the season as fantasy owners, we're often, um, you know, and the, and the trends the past couple of years has been uh, kind of trying to find those uh, Marlon Gonzalez guys that can play all over so that, so that we are, um, you know, so that we can be flexible during the draft as far as shifting positions around and, and um, acquiring the best player we can, or with an injury or other um, things in season, again, Having, having these guys being able to move around uh, so that, um, you know, if, if you had Gonzalez slotted in the middle infield and and an outfielder got hurt and it just so happens that um, the better the better free agent in your league was a, you know, was a second baseman or a middle infielder, you could move Gonzalez around, uh, of course, like that. So just contrasting that about how we hold that up, that position flexibility from a fantasy perspective, uh, oftentimes as being a good thing, 
But in this case, if you're, if you're an owner of Altair or Williams and or you, you, know, you are hoping that they get enough uh, major league uh, at-bats and experience to kind of be able to say, oh, this is what we have here, this is how I should evaluate those players, um, they're kind of getting the short end of the stick uh, in, in that sense. Um, so I just thought it was an interesting uh, comparison um, about, uh, about this player flexibility issue. I did too, and I thought the the interesting part of it was not so much that yeah, one guy gets playing time, somebody's going to lose playing time. That's that's fairly obvious, but it does present a bit of a pl- uh, playing time projection challenge in that you're trying to say okay, when you're looking at it from the perspective of the uh, start before the season starts, when you're looking at draft prep, you're looking at Altair, you may be looking at Nick Williams, and you're saying to yourself, well, these guys, you know, they seem to be in line for a certain amount of playing time, and uh, that's how much we're going to give them, and then it turns out they're not going to get all that playing time because because Kingery comes out of left field, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, and, and starts taking up time out of the uh, outfield that you weren't expecting to have happen. And th- that's a bit of the luck of the draw. Uh, the same thing, I think, happens in uh, Houston, where uh, you've got Marwin Gonzalez floating around all over the place, and he seems to be costing playing time for Derek Fisher, and to some extent even for... Um, Marisnik, and now you've got a second question, which is, as fantasy owners, as you mentioned, how do we determine whether these guys can play because they're just not getting enough playing time to establish playing time sample size to figure out, do they have power? Do they have contact ability? You know, what is their ability level? We don't know because they're just not getting enough time at it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's more, I mean, I'm, I'm interested too in that sort of player development sort of uh, question. Especially with these young guys, uh, you know, we we track uh, them in the minor leagues and kind of, uh, you know, try try to get a feel on kind of what kind of player they will be at the major league level. But you know, for most of these guys, we really don't know until they uh, face so much major league pitching. I mean, that's the best pitching they're going to face, for instance, as as hitters. And, and as we all know, uh, there are very few, um, you know big prospects like that are kind of uh, adjust just on the fly and hit the ground, uh, you know, hit the, hit the ground running. Um, it's more often a process and uh, of adjustments and counter adjustments and all that sort of thing. And so when, uh, when you hope and, and kind of bank on kind of Altair and Williams or Fisher uh, getting a certain number of bats to sort of be able to be able to evaluate kind of what kind what type of player, uh, this is going to be, um, and then a multi-position guy kind of <laughs> squeezes them out. Uh, you know, all sorts of things can happen. I mean, sometimes these young players, um, as I mentioned, kind of, uh, if, if, you know, if they're not getting a lot of playing time, it's easy to kind of put pressure on themselves. Then when they do get in there, squeeze the bat a little tighter, swing a little harder, um, and, and it can easily uh, spiral from there if they're extra tense and aware that they're not getting kind of the the chances that they uh, assume, and so when they when it comes, they're uh, you know want want so much to kind of whatever impress the manager. Um, so I think it's a uh, you know it, it does it does present some uh, interesting player development questions um, and uh, issues um, with the multi position players. 
bit of a vicious cycle, actually, for those players who are trying to impress, and then they try so hard that they can't impress, which makes things worse and worse. It's a it's a tough situation. But given the widespread adoption of ever longer pitching staffs in the major leagues and ever shorter benches. Clearly, the real value of multi-position players in Major League Baseball seems destined to keep rising. And from the fantasy angle, how likely do you think it is that the situation will ever change? Are we just going to have to start permanently building it into our playing time expectations and our player evaluations? I think, yeah. I mean, I think given, I think you're right, given where it seems like the game's going, I think this is only going to get more tricky that way. and, and we certainly at the site, you know, we have um, guys, uh, we have writers kind of assigned to teams to kind of divvy out that playing time. And in this case, for instance, for sure, uh, Phil Hertz, who does the Phillies for us, um, you know, we, it was back and forth with Ray and I several times throughout the spring about how the, you know, how how we were reading that situation as far as how much was, this was kind of before we knew Kingery had made the team for sure, but like, you know, when was Kingery going to come up and kind of how much, where was he going to play once uh, he did that? Um, I'm from Philadelphia, and and for a while there was, uh, in the offseason, there was a lot of talk about maybe they'll actually trade Cesar Hernandez, you know, their starting second baseman, and and Kingery will slot in there. And, and, And when, you know, when might that happen and how that all affects playing time. So it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely makes allocating that playing time, uh, which again drives our uh, balance of the year projections uh, more tricky uh, for the guys that, that do that for us. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Brent Hershey, co-general manager and a scout and columnist at BaseballHQ.com. And uh, Brent, you had a USA Today fantasy baseball chat not too long ago. First of all, how often do those chats appear in USA Today? How often is it a Baseball HQ guy, and how often is it you? Um, yeah, we do we do an online chat uh, every every Thursday uh, during this season, uh, noon Eastern. Um, and uh and i yeah we usually get lots of uh lots of questions uh that's kind of promoted online and that kind of thing um so uh and usually usually it's me sometimes uh jock thompson uh does it or another staffer but often oftentimes it's it's me and it's it's a fun way certainly to uh connect with um with a lot of uh you know kind of the issues that fantasy owners are facing um, it's not all, uh, for sure. It's not all baseball HQ subscribers, although there's, I think there's plenty of those too. Um, but it gives you a good feel of kind of, uh, what the, what the big issues are. Um, and you know, I, it, 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 every April it gives me my chance to repeat that Ron Chandler phrase of, you know, practice excruciating patience basically, mm-hmm. uh, for the slow starters. Cause there's always questions, uh, within the first couple of weeks about, you know, when should I drop uh, whichever slow starter that has thirty at bats, kind of thing, and and uh, so it's uh, but it's a for the most part it's a good time. When should I dump John Carlos Stanton that bum? Yes, exactly. Uh, 
a lot of the questions have to do with particular players, and I find these really interesting uh, because of the uh, ramifications for everybody who's reading the chat to say, oh, I've got, I'm interested in what Baseball HQ and Brent Hershey have to say about these particular guys. Uh, I wouldn't mind following up on a few of them uh, that came in via the questions to the chat system. Uh, first, one guy wanted to assess the three young stars that he had on his roster, uh, Louis, Louis Brinson, Jesus Aguilar, and Mac Williamson, and asked about the immediate future versus is the long term, and you had different players for those different time frames. How did you answer that question? Yeah, um, the, one of the challenges of the, of the chats is uh, is trying to ascertain if if uh, the chatters don't uh, give you kind of what the context is, uh, and meaning is it is it a single year league? Is it a uh, keeper league? And uh, or is it a you know ten team mix? pool or is it a you know 12 team nl only or whatever or whatever um so in this case uh yes i answered that i thought um that for this year that perhaps probably aguilar is the is the better um play uh, partially because of the partially because of the uh you know the experience that he's had uh even though it's it's not been as a as a full-time player uh, he's had that experience from a development standpoint. He's, you know, made some adjustments, and he has, uh, you know, he has more power than kind of Williamson or Brinson. But I'm certainly uh, long term a, uh, you know, kind of a uh, Brinson fan. I think uh, while there's a good bit of swing and miss there, and he'll have some batting average uh, challenges, um, the power and speed combination, uh, I think, could be quite profitable for fantasy and so in that case it would be someone and if it's in a if it's a long term and it's someone in a keeper league um i wouldn't advise them necessarily giving up and, and waving brinson even though he's gotten to off to a horrible start um but if there was a way to reserve him or just or just kind of sit tight um with the idea that uh once he makes his adjustments uh and as he's done that um coming up through the minors uh once he does that at the major league level I had to laugh when you mentioned the uh, difficulty of answering some of these questions because of the lack of context. Uh, I think I might have told the story before on the podcast, but I'll tell it again. I was once invited onto a fantasy baseball related program on Sirius XM and at one point they said do you want to take some calls from listeners and I don't know I'm sure if that's what you want you know and uh, the first guy comes on and he asks a question and I don't remember the details but it was something on the order of uh, I got offered Justin Smoke for Mike Clevenger should I make that deal and uh, so the the host of the show says Patrick what do you think and I go, I don't know, <laughs> you know, how can I possibly answer that question? Where do you stand in the categories? What other pitchers do you have? What other hitters do you have? You know, I mean, m- making a trade decision in particular is not just, you know, Justin Smoke. Is Justin Smoke as valuable in dollar terms as Mike Clevenger? He's useless to you if you're going to win home runs by 50 or lose them by 50. And, and, you know, and so on and so forth. It's just weird that people, and people don't get that. So much of the questions that come into these chats and these radio programs and stuff are, should I make this trade? And then they just say it's two guys, and and I don't, I just don't get it. Uh, to me, it means that the guy asking the question doesn't get it. Yeah, uh, and I, I think that's possible. And we do, uh, you know, we in the chats that I do, we do get some of those. Uh, I, you know, I can sort of 
choose. I always, you know, there's always many more questions that I'm able, many more questions uh, sitting there for me that I'm able to answer in the hour or so that I have. So I can kind of pick and choose with some of those. Um, and yes, if I get that, uh, if I get, would get that same question with no context, it would probably be one that I would skip over, frankly, <laughs> because of the exact reasons that you uh, dictate. So if you're listening to this podcast and you intend to participate in Brent's chat, don't ask a trade question. <laughs> you're not going to get it. Well, you're not going to get it answered. Or, you know, or like you said, just say, you know, I get questions like, uh, I'm behind in power and I have plenty of starting pitching. Should I make this deal? You know, that sort of thing. And, and, and then it, that helps a little bit as far as, uh, knowing how to respond in a helpful way. Another participant asked if a bunch of young guys like Moncada, Heimer Candelario, Ronald Acuna, and Glaber Torres can all do well in the same year, and he was asking because he has them all on his team. And I thought, boy, this is the greatest keeper team I've heard of in the last 25 years, but it's a redraft league. So he drafted all these guys on the come, I guess, uh, hoping that something would happen. And, of course, they're all really good prospects. He had a couple of young pitchers in there, too. And I believe that your answer was, yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, it was sort of. Uh, I mean, uh, I sort of sensed from the question, if I recall it, that it was mo- it was around. Uh, you know, is it uh, is it possible that I can hit the jackpot in all of these guys? You know, and if not, should I pick one or two and kind of trade them off um, because they can't all possibly hit? And I I think you know the you know it sort of depends on the prospects, but all of them, like you said, uh, had very uh, have sh- have shown some aspect of being um, valuable and and were uh, you know not as risky as some of the other some of the other rookies he could have listed kind of thing and so I you know I, I just I just said yeah basically that it, that it is possible um, for all those guys to hit because of you know again because of kind of who they are and and how we've seen them uh, develop obviously. You know, Acuna is the top prospect in the game. Uh, Condelario has some, uh, you know, had some experience last year and has, has good plate discipline. Has been uh, a useful player this year. Uh, Torres, Labor Torres, is um, you know, is another kind of top ten prospect like that who uh, has always played well against older competition, um, that kind of thing. So I think that uh, in that case. Yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it's, it's a situation where they could all uh, do well, and you shouldn't necessarily uh, look to make moves um, because you're, you know, worried that they won't all uh, won't all hit or whatever. When I saw the question, my first thought was, you know, the the easiest way to figure out whether they're all going to hit in the same year is to just multiply all the probabilities that any each one of them will hit in a year. And so if you say, okay, Acuna's 90% likely and uh, Moncada's already well underway, he's 80% likely, and you just multiply those probabilities together, you'll get the rough likelihood of how often how likely it is they'll all hit in the same year uh i was just looking at the rookie list uh, at baseballreference.com uh, about wins above replacement you know there's only one rookie this year so far who's over uh, one win above replacement and that's uh the kid in uh in san diego christian villanueva is at 1.3 but acuna is already at 0.7 wins above replacement and he's only played eight games <laughs> yeah he's uh he certainly is is something special, and I yeah I uh, I would not be at all surprised if he is one of those uh, guys who 
um, does, you know, not struggle and kind of uh, kind of keeps this up. There'll always be, you know, there'll always be adjustments, especially if he gets off to a hot start. They'll, you know, and the and the big league teams will um, get the book on him, so to speak, and and try to find his holes. But uh, so far, he's shown, I, you know, I think the ability to to just uh, adjust um, and uh, and again and again against against uh, older competition, uh, more experienced competition um, as he's coming up. And I, I, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, he's off to a great start, obviously. Drawing walks at a decent percentage, not striking out too much. Yeah, I think uh, Ronald Acuna is definitely the real deal out here. You know, we used to have something at, at BaseballHQ.com, Brent, I'm sure you remember years ago, and this is kind of going back to the whole question of context and should I make this deal and so forth. But we had the uh, personal advisor system. Do you remember they would uh, the subscriber would pay in, I forget, 25 or $30, and uh, then they would be assigned an analyst. And I was one for a couple of years. And uh, it was a really... Uh, interesting way of going about it because you had the opportunity some of them would give you their league password so you could see what the league situation was and uh it was a it was a really interesting way to to help people out the problem was it was so time consuming that to make it you know a reasonable deal they would have had to pay a thousand dollars rather than 25 yeah yeah and as as one that kind of administered that whole thing for (laughs) several years (laughs) uh it was uh quite challenging administratively too as far as uh Dishing it out to the right people, uh, making sure that um, you know, making sure that the uh, subscribers kind of didn't abuse that uh, relationship because you writers have uh, you know other lives, lives <laughs> and that kind of thing. Uh, so yes, I certainly remember it. It was a it was a uh, a feature that uh, I thought was a was a cool uh, idea and uh, something we did for many years, and I think. Um, yeah, I think that many subscribers uh, benefited from that and uh, and enjoyed that. I take it we don't do it anymore just because of those administrative issues. Yeah, we got to the point where it just was it just didn't it just uh, was too much to kind of keep track of, uh, and I think it had it had kind of if I remember right our numbers had had kind of peaked and it and it wasn't uh, you know it wasn't being it wasn't profitable or it, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't working out for us uh, in that realm as far as the time that we uh, put into it. Um, So we discontinued it several years ago, yeah. I had one guy uh, who took the relationship uh, way past baseball. He was asking me, you know, what should my college major be? And I'm looking at, you know, should I marry this girl? And hold on here. What am I, Ann Landers? You know, uh, (laughs) just let's try to calm down. Yeah, and that was part of it too. Is just you know respecting the time of our of our writers because it's it's time for you too to respond or to um, be in that, and and it just wasn't. Uh, we didn't feel it was kind of fair uh, for anyone uh, at that point, and, um, and 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 not and not everyone did that. There was a lot of people that uh, respected that. Oh, also, sure. But that also had had something to do with uh, our decision to to close it down. And that the the whole system was uh, was built and operated before we actually had the chat boards up and running, and I think they've done a great job at the site of figuring out a way that people can ask specific questions and not just get answers from an assigned person, but anybody from the staff who's uh, on the boards that night, plus all the other subscribers, and some of them are really smart and could be analysts if they uh, decided to ruin their lives the way the rest of us have ruined ours. <laughs> 
Yes, for sure. I mean, that's, that is the, right. That's the other thing is that uh, the forums do, uh, do kind of um, fill that uh, void there and, it, and are a great, a great place, as you said, to, uh, to get feedback from not only staff people but other, uh, other informed kind of subscribers. Another person on your chat at USA Today asked whether to keep starter Jake Faria on the uh, active roster or bench him and wait to see him come out of his slow start. Uh, I know what Todd Zola would say, but what was your take? Uh, yeah, I, I again said I think if if uh, you know if he had the chance for someone like Faria, when I looked at uh, his peripherals were uh, wavering a little bit, um, and if you had the if you're able to kind of bench him, hang on to him, and kind of uh, let him. Let, and, and sort of see if he if he worked out of it. Uh, that would be um, you know the advice I would give. It's always trickier. Again, you know, is this person talking about dropping him for good? Uh, and you know, he's a young pitcher who's shown some strikeout ability uh, in the past. Um, and and always the you know always the underlying thing is kind of who do you replace him with? I mean, what's the what's the who are you putting into his slot? Um, instead, if it's, uh, if it, you know, if your choices are some other, uh, number five starter that's getting, uh, you know, hit around like crazy, then, then no, maybe you just hang on to him. Someone asked about the likelihood of Toronto super prospect Vladimir Guerrero Jr. being promoted to AAA and then called up before the September call-ups. You, you seem to think it's at least a possibility. What's your position on, uh, Vlad Jr.? I, uh, yeah, I'm a big... Vlad Jr. fan. Uh, as part of the minor league coverage we do, I got to see uh, got to see him uh, the first week or so of the year when he came uh, to a nearby uh, park here, and uh, he just really does. I mean, he's 19 years old, and he's in Double A. Um, he's making it look easy. He's he's done that for the whole first five weeks of the season uh, so far. Um, just has an uncanny. Uh, sort of strength and kind of um, uh, hit tool combination that I think is going to be, and plate discipline, which I think is going to really serve him well. I think uh, before the season, seeing him, I I would have said, maybe a September call-up if he does well. And at this point, if he continues to hit at double A, he may, you know, the Jays, depending on their situation, you know, may just go ahead and promote him right from double a maybe sometime in in um, late july or august or something like that um you know i think it all i, I think he is one of these guys that you know may not need uh triple a necessarily um, and, and they and they may choose to move him up at triple a in mid-season uh to just to just to give him that more experience but i think he's uh he's going to be a uh a, a uh, quite an impact player uh, at the major league level, and and I think you know I think there's a I think there's a chance that much like we sort of uh, have Trout and Harper sort of join at the hip because they sort of came up at the same time and are kind of you know kind of elite superstars. I think there's a chance that uh, Vladdy and and uh, Acuna are are uh, you know might be in a similar ilk like that as far as just a just a duo that. Um, uh, you know, the, a, a duo that kind of hit the majors around the same time um, and, um, you know, I, I got off to good starts to their careers. 
almost an 1100 OPS as a 19 year old in AAA. Uh, it's pretty rare, I think. Uh, finally, uh, in that chat, you said Sean Manaya, the Oakland pitcher, uh, recently had a no hitter. You're saying he's approaching no sitter as a status. Uh, he's not going to be the kind of guy you can ever even think of sitting down. Uh, how close is he to that status, Brent? And what more does he have to do to cement it in your mind? Yeah, I think for him, it's it's uh, basically just consistency um, and and as uh, you know, and and getting him through a whole season um, without injury. Uh, he he just uh, you know there was some some talk after the season last year about some medication um, that he was on that he had lost a, a bunch of weight as the season kind of went on, and you could see his statistics and, and performance kind of just uh, go sort of uh, downhill, especially from the second half on. And um, supposedly he's got that righted again. There was a lot of good signs kind of in those first two months uh, last year, and, he's, and he certainly just picked that up again. Um, so I think, uh, you know, this, this question was coming kind of after the no-hitter, uh, right after it. Um, and I... Uh, you know, without saying, I didn't want to kind of overreact and say, oh, he threw a no-hitter, so he's, you know, you you can't sit him down at all. Um, but I, I do think that uh, he's one that, um, if he stays healthy, can kind of, you know, take that next step up to, to be a, a really solid, you know, uh, number one guy for the A's and, and uh, you know, maybe not in that sort of ace, sale, Kluber kind of, category but uh, sort of the one one a there um below that but it's mainly just it's mainly just consistency continuing um to see that he's in a great park uh all his peripherals are are strong and uh yeah i'm excited to i'm excited to uh see how he continues uh to pitch this year and a little known metric uh, is the uh uh, Davitt ownership metric. I had him for the last two years. Didn't get him this year, so that was a, certainly a, a leading indicator that he was going to do fantastically. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> can't can't overlook that. Along with a bunch of well, other yeah. guys who are driving me crazy this year in the same uh, way. I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. The one the one year early guys, right? Oh yeah, guys. two years early in uh, in my case. Tried him two years ago. Uh, he did borderline stunk last year. I gave up. Uh, and, of course, this year he looks like Cy Young. Uh, Brent, so far this has been uh, tremendous. I'm really uh, excited about uh, ha- having you around uh, later on in the show for Part 2 if you're ready to stand by. Sounds good. Brent Hershey is co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com, and he does a little scouting work for the site as well, and he'll be back a little later in the show to talk about some prospects and his boons and banes for the rest of the year. Coming up next, our Market Watch reports on player news from the National League and the American League. That's coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. Hoagie Wilson still hoping to win it for New York. Three and two the count. And the pitch by Stanley. And a ground ball. Trickling. It is a fair ball. Gets by Buckner. Down the third night. The Mets will win the ball game. The Mets win. They win. Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our Market Watch Player News Reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with the American League News and leading off it's the National League Report and our old friend Baseball HQ analyst Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you, Patrick. Always good to be here. Lots of news this morning. 
Boy, isn't there ever. Uh, one of our best and most widely read columns at BaseballHQ.com is Doug Dennis's bullpen buyer's guide. Doug does a terrific job identifying relief pitchers with great potential as well as bullpen situations. He, he covered a, a really interesting column recently called Crazy Elite Skill Sets Are Multiplying, and he found a bunch of relief pitchers with base performance values over 200, and or we're looking at 70 to 80 as being above average, over 200. That's really elite, and of course, we'd expect some of the names on Doug's list, Edwin Diaz or Oldest Chapman, but a lot of the other names were a little more under the radar, including Milwaukee left-hander Josh Hader, and he's become a lot less under everybody's radar these days, Nick, with four saves while Corey Knable is out and really tremendous skills, especially in strikeouts. What's the story with this super lefty dominating hitters out of the Brewer bullpen? Yeah, incredible, incredible skills that Josh Hader is, is uh, displaying at this point. A lot of people kind of saw this coming to the end of last season when he came up. But as Doug says, uh, Milwaukee's usage of Hader has been absolutely perfect. They've kept him in leverage situations. They've used him for multiple innings. They've let him finish off games. Um, eventually, the elevated innings may begin to take a toll, but right now, he is certainly the most electric reliever in baseball. Uh, 18.2 strikeouts per nine innings. I'm, uh, I'm going to say that again. 18.2 strikeouts per nine innings. That's so far across 15.3 innings pitched. That's a pace of 186 strikeouts for the year. Now, don't expect that to happen, but hater owners right now are essentially getting a starter strikeouts with uh, a closer's elite uh, ERA and whip and a few saves to, to in the mix. So uh, this guy is something. And I should point out that uh, actually the dominance rate has jumped up a little bit to 19.5. The night that uh, that Doug's column came out, uh, Hader went in and struck out the side. So his uh, strikeout rate is now 19.5 strikeouts per nine innings, which is more than two per inning. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, you know, if he, if he were to get even 70, 75 innings uh, because of this multi-inning role that he's sometimes used in, that's as many strikeouts as two-thirds of the starting pitchers that we have out there. That's right. And as, as Doug says, you're getting that, plus you're getting a a uh, an, a reliever's, a closer's ERA and whip uh, along to go along with that, and a few saves tossed into the mix. Yes, a one ERA and zero fifty whip are, uh, right now. Uh, of course, we'll talk about this later with Todd Zola, but uh, it seems a little premature to say that this guy's going to be able to maintain the strikeout pace over the course of a long season and it'll depend on usage a lot of things in the mix before we can say you know this guy's going to be the next mike marshall yeah right and definitely and we also have to have to remember at this point uh major league hitters are getting their first look at him now the fact that he's pitching uh not 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 a starter and not pitching so many innings means it's going to be a while before they get their second and third looks, and so it'll take the it'll take hitters a while to adjust to him very definitely. And of course, there's a possibility they may want to use him as a starter at some point, which would certainly affect the strikeout rate, but might actually increase the number of strikeouts because of the increase in innings. Uh, some really sad news out of Los Angeles: their fine shortstop Corey Seager was placed on the 10-day DL. Uh, he's going to be on the 60 before long, I'm sure. He's got a problem with his right ulnar collateral ligament in his elbow, and he's going to have Tommy John surgery. Usually pitchers get that. He's going to miss the rest of this season for sure, probably part of next year as well. Uh, playing time today, coverage from Jock Thompson. Uh, what's the story going on here with uh, with Corey Seager? Yeah, the ripple effects are, are going to happen all over. It's a, um, uh, a really bad situation for uh, for Los Angeles and for, for fantasy owners who are counting on Seager as their, as their main shortstop. And I'm sure now are scrambling 
uh, to find someone on the waiver wire to replace him. Uh, initially, Chris Taylor is moving uh, moving over to shortstop and going to cover. That opens up all kinds of things in the LA outfield, uh, and so there'll be lots of uh, lots of possibilities for playing time in the outfield, especially as a, as a result. We're currently increasing Enrique Hernandez's playing time by 20%, Jock Peterson's by 25%, uh, Alex Verdugo by 10%. So uh, a lot of different things could happen and a lot of opportunity going on right now in the LA outfield with Taylor moving to the shortstop position. Yes, and Brian Slack covered the Dodgers for his National League West reports and playing time tomorrow and happened to coincide with uh, this injury situation. He had some interesting targets here. You mentioned Alex Verdugo. Uh, Kike Hernandez looks like he's going to get some opportunities as well. And Andrew Tolles and Jock Peterson. Right, all four of them. And all four of them have potential in different kinds of ways. So it's certainly a situation that, that bears watching at this point. Uh, Verdugo has come up. He's the team's number one position prospect, uh, an 8B ranking from uh, uh, from the minor league baseball analyst. Uh, kind of an interesting speculation, both short and long term. Uh, was hitting 276 and 76 at bats at Oklahoma City. Uh, the knock has always been a lack of power. Uh, only six home runs at 117 games in the PCL last year uh, and a 58% ground ball rate. So uh, some warts there. Got off to a better start this year. Four homers in the minors, but uh, a 54% ground ball rate points to someone who's going to contribute more in the in the BA category. Uh, per, perhaps runs runs RBIs uh, more than in power. Uh, as you said, uh, Enrique Hernandez uh, made some changes this offseason to handle right-handed pitching better. He would like to be uh, to play not in a platoon role, but in a regular everyday role. Um, and so he's so far had four home runs in the in the spring off right-handers. Uh, two more against right-handers to start the season, but uh, hitting right right now only 225. So uh, a batting average issue at the moment with uh, with him. Andrew Tolles, Jock Peterson could get lots of playing time. Jock Peterson is certainly an interesting guy to look at. Uh, still just 26 years old and now over 1,200 bats at the major league level, and uh, you know quietly having the best the best plate skills of his career right now. 18% walk rate, 81% contact rate. Um, Jock Peterson, you may look at him as a as a kind of a post-hype player, but maybe someone to take a close look at at this point. Ray Murphy mentioned Jock Peterson as one of his boons in uh, Baseball HQ Radio a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I know he's only got one home run and an 83 power index so far this year, but he has a career 135 power index, which means 35% above league average, which means if he can combine all these things, if he can keep the contact up and rediscover the power, Jock Peterson could be a great get right now before uh, before the news hits the wires, as it were. Yeah, very definitely. A very, I think Jock Peterson is a very interesting speculation at the moment as we see how this entire playing time situation shakes out in the Dodgers outfield. As if the Dodgers didn't have enough bad news, uh, they're reeling as it was. They now lose Corey Seager, their starting shortstop. And Hyun Jin Ru, the starting pitcher, is going to be out until the second half with what they're calling a groin strain. They recalled right-hander Yimmy Garcia from Class AAA Oklahoma City, but that's not the news here. Who's going to get reused innings? Walker Bueller now becomes a full-time member of the rotation unless he manages to pitch himself out of it. Um, Got to be kind of careful with Walker Bueller. He probably has an innings limit uh, through just 98 innings last season uh, coming back from, from Tommy John's surgery. So it should be good for 100 innings or so. My guess is the Dodgers will monitor that very carefully and will not uh, will not push him too hard. Uh, and maybe he'll be, uh, he in fact, could reach that innings limit 
uh, by by almost midseason or shortly thereafter. But certainly came up and did a great job in his uh, in his first start, uh, first uh, actually first two starts, uh, two PQS threes, uh, five innings pitched against Miami, allowed no earned runs. Uh, five innings pitched against San Francisco, allowed two earned runs. So uh, a good strong beginning for Bueller in the rotation, and uh, looks like he'll get a chance to continue. Jock Thompson also reporting in that coverage uh, the Ryu's groin muscle was torn completely off the bone, which sounds really gruesome. And then he says he won't return till late July at the earliest. Gosh, uh, Nick, wouldn't you say a guy losing his groin muscle completely off the bone uh, July seems optimistic? Yeah, it does to me. I mean, ouch, you know, goodness <laughs> yeah. me. So July may be very optimistic, and there may be the need to, uh, as we said, because of Bueller's uh, innings limit, uh, the Dodgers may have to scramble a bit as we begin to get into July. And that could uh, open up some opportunity for Brock Stewart here and there as well. That's possible. Very definitely. Brock Stewart would be a possibility uh, for to gain some playing time or depending upon how things shake out as, as, as we progress. More pitcher trouble in San Francisco, where right-hander Johnny Cueto was placed on the 10-day DL with what they're calling right elbow inflammation. They called... Uh, Andrew Suarez from AAA to take his spot on the roster. Rob Carroll covers the Giants for playing time today. What's the story with Johnny Cueto? This is one of those situations that's a little bit scary with the, with the amount of news we have right now, which is not a whole lot. We know that, uh, that Cueto exited his last start with uh, right elbow inflammation, getting some pain in the right elbow. He was pitching absolutely phenomenally. Uh, according to, uh, uh, to manager Bruce Bochy, he had had some tenderness the past two starts. Uh, but even with that, uh, pitched 19 innings, only allowed seven hits, two earned runs, 21-4 uh, strikeout-walk ratio. So it pitched very, very well, but apparently the tenderness is increasing. Uh, and so the news we've got at the moment is that they are seeking additional opinions. Uh, and the, the final opinion looks like it's going to come from Dr. James Andrews, uh, and that's the name we associate with Tommy John surgery. But certainly a wide variety of outcomes at this point. Uh, right now at HQ, we're sticking to the 10-day DL notice and making only minor playing time adjustments. Uh, but if you're a Cueto owner, you certainly want to monitor the news very, very closely uh, this week and, and look for possible options if there is a, uh, a bad news coming out of the situation. Uh, right now, Andrew Suarez uh, is going to show a short playing time gain uh, and get a, get another start, a 7B prospect with uh, kind of number four starter potential. And finally, Nick, the Colorado Rockies optioned first baseman Ryan McMahon to AAA on Tuesday. He was off to a very slow start, and that comes in uh, spite of some pretty high ratings in the preseason from the touts and experts. They recalled shortstop Daniel Castro. Uh, Rob Carroll says the McMahon demotion is going to set a lot of things in motion. It is indeed. I mean, we've got a whole lot of, uh, of moving parts going on right now. McMahon was off to a really, really horrible start. And not only batting 180, but only one extra base hit in his first 60 plate appearances. So, uh, and that, that's, uh, hitting, that's playing in Colorado, you know. So things were not going at all well, uh, especially after a monster 2017, uh, thought that the only real question was, uh, how he would fare against left-handed pitching. Uh, at this point, the question now is how he's going to fare against major league pitching. Uh, and he's got some things to prove as he goes back to the minors and hopefully can get all of that straightened out. In the meantime, uh, we've got lots of, uh, as we said, lots of moving parts. Uh, Ian Desmond becomes essentially the full-time first baseman. Uh, he's not hitting so well at this point himself to start the season, although uh, certainly more major league experience than Ryan McMahon has and, and probably more of a chance of actually working himself out by playing it through through the uh, the current uh, situation. David Dahl has been brought up. David Dahl has been... Uh, 
Certainly he's going to see a playing time increase uh, as well. A playing time increase for Carlos Gonzalez. Also a playing time increase for Daniel Castro. So lots of moving parts going on in Colorado. They're probably going to be playing with things for a while and see who steps up uh, as they're arranging both the, uh, the playing time and the lineup, uh, depending upon who's hot. Uh, and who's going to uh, be hot for more than a week. I noticed that Rob Carroll mentioned that Castro is uh, seeing some pretty good results in AAA, a 945 OPS in uh, 91 at-bats, but his career record is a little bit less exciting. A 682 OPS in 2,000 PAs over eight minor league seasons makes uh, 2018's short numbers look like a little bit possibly misleading. It's also uh, maybe worth mentioning Pat Valaika was in that first base mix with McMahon and Desmond, but he's overplaying second right now because of D.J. LeMahieu. Right, with D.J. LeMahieu on the DL, hopefully that's a very short-term situation and he'll be off. Uh, as soon as his 10 days are up. Uh, but yes, Pat Velika is playing second, and so that gives Desmond, Ian Desmond even more time at first base. And Desmond, for all of his struggles, if he turns things around, he's a pretty decent guy to have on your roster, especially in Colorado. He should be able to hit a little, and he might even contribute some stolen bases. Yeah, I like Ian Desmond. There's a lot he can do. Just at this point, he's having trouble getting started. But even with a, a bad batting average with a 173 BA at this point, he has four home runs, 13 RBIs, and three steals in his first 104 at-bats, and that's not bad at all. All right, Nick, thanks very much for helping us out again this week. We'll talk to you again in a week's time. Thank you, Patrick. Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and covers the National League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's go over to the American League and BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show. PD, hey, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. At, uh, I'd like to start off with a bit of bragging about the weather. It's been so cold and miserable here all through April. Snow and rain and wind, and uh, just the last couple of days it's been 25 degrees, beautiful bright sunshine. I should say 25 degrees centigrade, uh, which is Celsius degrees, probably around 80 or 82 in uh, Fahrenheit degrees. So it's been great, and I've been real happy to be outside listening to baseball. Yeah, it'll probably be 85 degrees tomorrow. So, I mean, that's how it goes right now. So uh, we live in interesting times, as we were just saying. Yeah. Uh, interesting times in the American League start as usual with a lot of injuries and a few guys coming back and a couple of guys starting their careers. Uh, let's start with the Blue Jays. They're a surprising 17-13 and 13 as we speak and looking for the AL wildcard spot in a tough division with Boston and the Yankees. And they've got a lot of positional uncertainty going on, Jock, uh, including at second base. Uh, surprisingly, they sent Devon Travis, who's a pretty good hitter, to AAA Buffalo this past week. And uh, Matt Dodge covered the story for playing time today. What's going on at the Keystone for the Toronto Blue Jays? Yeah, Devin Travis was a little surprising if you haven't been paying much attention to the Blue Jays. He, he does have a very good history, uh, uh, offensive history. But apparently, according to Matt, he's had some nagging hand and foot injuries, and it's really reflected in his uh, his early performance uh, his, uh, he's got a lot of weak contact. Uh, I think he's hitting uh, below uh, below 200, uh, 148 through 61 at bats. Uh, all of his metrics are down. He's going to get a reset in the minors and some time off while Toronto sees what it has in uh, Lourdes Gurriel for one uh, to offer at uh, second and second base and shortstop. Uh, looks like Gurriel scuffled a little bit early on. He's eight for his first 38. 
but he obviously uh, has good bloodlines and some athleticism, so Toronto wants to take a look. Uh, I think another reason this move might have been made is the return of Josh Donaldson Thursday, uh, which means that Toronto just got a whole lot more flexible positionally. It, it looks like the Jays are going to try to keep young Gervis Solarte in the lineup by playing him at second base, maybe some shortstop, maybe even some DH if Kendris Morales can't get on an extended role. So they'll mix him in with Aledmus Diaz and Gurriel in the middle of the infield. Is that how you're seeing it in uh, in in just outside of uh, Toronto? Well, it's it's a mixed bag. They've sure been disappointed with Diaz as well. He hasn't hit at all this year. Uh, he's got some home runs, but other than that, he's like over the season pretty much. Uh, Gurriel's been uh, kind of an interesting surprise for a lot of uh, fans. They they didn't know much about him. They were a little surprised that he got the call up rather than one of Bichette or Vladimir Guerrero or, or even uh, Biggio from the minor leagues, all of whom are playing well, but of course there are playing time issues there and service time issues there as well. Uh, the, the Jays don't have a lot of trouble scoring runs, and I think that with Donaldson coming back, presuming he's healthy, that's going to help that situation a lot. Uh, the, the the surprise in the good side for them has been Solarte. He's a fireplug kind of guy. He's getting a lot of people excited. Uh, Morales is shuffling. Uh, Diaz is shuffling. There's still some work to be done here for Toronto if they aspire to make the playoffs, I think, but more on the pitching side, frankly, than on the hitting side. Yeah, this is true. And, you know, this isn't the only positional shuffling going on. Uh, um, apparently, uh, Randall Gritchick uh, has just received an overdue DL stint, uh, ostensibly for a right knee sprain. Uh, um, he's expected to be out for several several weeks and likely to get a big rehab assignment after his poor start. There's pretty much been nothing good about Gritchick's performance. Uh, I guess uh, his current uh, walk rate and uh, expected uh, power index offers some hope, but this was a timeout that was overdue. Yeah, it was. Uh, meanwhile, what are they going to do in uh, right field? Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the reasons the timing on this was so fortuitous is the other outfielders are, are really kicking it for Toronto, and that includes uh, um, Curtis Granderson, Steve Pierce, and, and most importantly, Teoscar Hernandez, who was called up mid-April and who's been raking ever since. I don't think he's going back down if he can keep playing up to this performance level or anywhere close for that matter. Teoscar Hernandez was a guy I targeted in drafts this year in, uh, in my AL Tout League, and unfortunately I got nipped at the end because uh, somebody else in the league thought he was a, a guy worth having. Uh, Gritchek has been really awful, and you're right, Granderson and Pierce have been uh, pleasantly surprising, especially Granderson. Uh, it's, it's going to be a fun ride, I think, for the Blue Jays this year, and there's going to be some fantasy implications. You've got to keep your eyes open for uh, those young minor leaguers I mentioned uh, um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., of course, and Bo Bichette in particular. There's already rumors in the Toronto baseball media that uh, they're considering bringing Guerrero up, which I don't see with Donaldson also coming up. Guerrero is a third baseman. And uh, um, Biggio at second base is a possibility. They also might think of bringing Bo Bichette. I don't see it, but uh, it's something to keep an eye on. And if your reserve list rules allow it, grab them all, <laughs> you know, because uh, especially in keeper situations, uh, all of these guys have great, great potential. Yeah, they're all definitely keepers. And uh, it's it's really kind of too bad that none of them can take the mound because, as you've said, that's where Toronto's problems are. Uh, they have been so far, except Jay Happ's been tremendous. Uh, he's uh, in the top 10 in ERAs, uh, in the top five or six in strikeouts per nine among starters. He's been sensational. Uh, over in Minnesota, the Twins haven't played nearly as well as Toronto, and they seem to have more problems than the Blue Jays. 
Uh, but despite their worst record, their ten and sixteen, they're only four and a half games out of first place in their division. Ah, uh, you gotta love the divisions. The uh, Twins have lost Byron Buxton to the DL. Miguel Sano went on the DL this past week. Rick Green covers the sad story of the Minnesota Twins for playing time today. What are they doing over there? And is there anything here fantasy owners should be looking at? The Twins have really been killed with these two injuries. Buxton was off to another slow start. Then he suddenly had to deal with migraines. Then he fouled off a ball off his toe uh, in a rehab, resulting in a hairline fracture. And he's been unable to run ever since. And obviously, uh, given that speed is a big big part of his game, as Rick mentioned, uh, that's a problem. Uh, Max Kepler's moved from right field to center field in his place, with Robbie Grossman moving from the bench to take over Kepler's right right field spot on most most nights. Um, and, and while Grossman has been surprisingly productive off the bench over the past couple seasons, his peripherals say he was over his head, and he's hitting a buck 97 right now with just one home run in Buxton's absence. I don't see a lot of minor league help on the immediate horizon, and, and, and this is a reason why I think Minnesota will try to rush Buxton back. So not a lot of fantasy help here, at least in the case of Buxton. Boy, uh, and I'll tell you what, they, if the idea is it's going to be when Buxton can run again, I guess that's going to depend a lot on what they mean by run because with a, a broken toe is a terrible thing. I've, I've had uh, um, a sprain in that area, not a broken toe, which is even worse. But, boy, I'll tell you, it doesn't seem like much, but it's like those thumb injuries for power hitters, right? seems like, eh, it's your thumb. What, do, what difference does it make? And it makes a lot of difference. A big, he's got a, a big toe injury. That's going to slow him down, and and when we say but Byron Buxton can run, yeah, well, can he run like Byron Buxton of old, or does it mean he can run as well as you know uh, Robbie Grossman or Max Kepler, which is a different kettle of fish? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised to hear the the stories about the the Twins wanting to get him back as soon as possible. I would want to make sure he could run because that's his game. If he can't run, he can't defend, he can't steal bases. Um, I'd be cautious if I were the Twins. My guess is that they might be. And again, a lot of it will depend on context. Uh, how close are they to making it to the playoffs? What do they feel their odds are of getting to the playoffs? And as a fantasy proposition, even if they do bring him back, I can see them slowing him down on the base paths out of fear of re-injury of the foot. That's something to watch as well. Meanwhile, how about Miguel Sano? He was striking out a ton. He was hitting the ball hard when he hit it. Uh, is there any fantasy help regarding Miguel Sano, his replacements, and his outlook? Well, Eduardo, I'm sorry, Eduardo Escobar has taken over most of the third base at bats, and as streaky as he is, he's been one of Minnesota's best offensive performers so far. I think he's hitting 308 with four homers and 91 at bats, uh, and he's versatile. So, yeah, fantasy owners in reasonably deep league should have already rostered him, or or they should go out and grab him now. Sano is said to have a grade one hamstring strain, uh, but his lack of progress when this thing started at the end of last week put, puts an early return date in question, I think. Uh, you know, again, these were these were two big losses, and combined with Brian Dozier's poor start and, and Jorge Polanco's PED suspension, it shouldn't be surprising that the Twins are near the very bottom in Major League offense right now. But remember, this was a team that finished at or near the top last year in Major League scoring from July on. So once the names return, uh, they have a chance to be much, much better. The Twins did get some good news this week on the pitching side with a fine debut from rookie starter Fernando Romero. He threw five and two-thirds of shutout ball against the Blue Jays, got a win in his Major League debut. Pretty exciting for the young man. Uh, his detailed skill set was detailed in uh, call-ups. 
Starting pitching might be the Twins' biggest issue, as it is with Toronto. Is Fernando Romero going to be a help, and is he someone we should be looking at for fantasy purposes? Yeah, the Twins' pitching hasn't been any better than their offense in the early going. It was a 5.13 overall staff ERA that's third from the from the major league bottom. I watched uh, much of Romero's debt, and I came away or debut. Uh, and I came away impressed. Uh, he he came as advertised in the uh, in our in our call up space. He has a very firm fastball with movement. Stayed in the mid nineties the entire game. He gets a lot of ground balls. He's not a very big guy, and his command is going to waver at times. But particularly with all the pitching injuries and Minnesota's needs. I think he gets an opportunity here, and if the offense improves, it's it's the kind of guy who could win 10 games with a little luck. I mean, he, he's a rookie pitcher, but he's one I'd speculate on if you need starting pitching. Of course, uh, that depends on the Twins getting their bullpen squared away. They've had real trouble there. Fernando Rodney's been inconsistent, although uh, I have him rostered on my tout team, and I listen to their games or watch them on TV, and some of his so-called blown saves have been the result of some atrocious fielding, which, as usual in Major League Baseball these days, uh, a ground ball to third, the guy Miguel Sano falls down trying to field it, then throws it away and they call it a base hit. I'm not kidding you, Jock. It was, a, it was a ground ball that you or I could have fielded 99 times out of 100. It's just ridiculous. But they have bullpen trouble as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I saw the same game that you did, or at least the end of it. I tried to try to switch around, and I saw the play, and, and you're right. Uh, context is everything. It's one reason I like to watch these things uh, as well as looking at the numbers. And if Fernando Rodney's on somebody's uh, I-don't-like-him-anymore list and is willing to give him away or trade him or he turns up in your waiver wire pool uh, don't be afraid to take a chance because uh, the twins are a pretty smart organization and they must realize that despite his bad surface stats he hasn't been pitching tremendously badly it's been a lot of uh, defensive letdowns there as well Uh, speaking of letdowns the angels your favorite team have stumbled a bit after they got off to a terrific start they're still 18 and 12 which is good and they're neck and neck with toronto for the second wild card spot but the pitching staff has a big problem with durability that was right from the start of the season and now the uh, pitching staff has taken another couple of hits this week well, the biggest hit this past week was in the bullpen where new closer uh, Keenan Middleton was put on the 10-day DL with uh, elbow inflammation. Now, the Angels are downplaying this and calling it minor, suggesting that he's going to return shortly after his stints up. But that pen is a huge problem, and it was seen again when Cam Bedrosian promptly went out and blew the first save opportunity following Middleton shelving. Um, another guy who you're hearing a lot of talk about it is is Justin Anderson. Uh, he's a new guy. He's he's pretty unproven, and he's a prospect who had a five plus ERA as a converted starting pitcher last year in his first season of bullpen work. Now this year his velocity soared, and he's been unscored upon in his first four or five outings, but with a bunch of walks. I think I think four walks in uh, in in four innings or something like that. But the fact that he throws upper 90s and hasn't given up any runs yet is apparently now all you need to be considered for to be in the back of the rotation, or I'm sorry, the back of the Angels' pen, which tells you something about where the Angels are right now. Nick Tropiano, the starting pitcher, also went on the DL this week. He's got a shoulder problem, and it seemed surprising given how well he pitched in a pretty good start against Baltimore. You covered this in playing time today. What's the outlook for Nick Tropiano and the uh, Angels' rotation? Yeah, the Angels have been downplaying this as well, and you're right. Uh, Tropiano not only pitched well against Baltimore, he's pitched pretty well all year. Um, And uh, apparently, according to Mike Socius, Tropiano's shoulder has been bothering him for a while, so it's not a new thing. They think he's going to be back uh, within the 10-day minimum. Um, 
And uh, I sure hope so uh, from a fan standpoint, for the Angels standpoint, because they're going to need it. And finally, Jock, Shohei Otani was reported to have a UCL sprain in his throwing elbow before the season started, and he just had a start pushed back this week. But that was because of an ankle, right? His elbow's okay? Yeah, it sounds like it. I haven't heard anything more about his ankle. Uh, it's interesting. The last start for Otani was on 424, and then uh, the sprain, which reportedly came running the bases. Now his next start is scheduled for Sunday uh, versus Seattle. Uh, unless this is somehow angel misdirection for something else uh, um, he's going to start then I, I think this is pretty much what his owners can expect going forward one start a week he's made four starts uh, for the year they're definitely going to try to preserve Otani's arm this year coming off that uh, UCL, UCL sprain all right Jock thanks a million for helping us out uh, we'll talk to you again in two weeks time because you're out of the country next week I am PD and we'll see you in a couple weeks all right thanks Jock Jock Thompson is an analyst and the director of news and analysis at BaseballHQ.com. When we return, our Baseball HQ commentaries, the Minor League Minute, Frequent Flyer, and Pitcher matchups are all coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. Now it's time in the show when I get to let you know about some of the great content that lets us say with confidence that BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In From A to Zinke, columnist Fred Zinke looks at 10 players who have impressed him so far. In Playing Time Tomorrow, American League Central Analyst Brandon Cruz looks at the volatile bullpen situation in Minnesota, the volatile outfield situation in Chicago, and a volatile rotation in Detroit. And in The Speculator, columnist Ryan Bloomfield looks at some possible early hidden injuries. And those are just three articles among dozens, a small sampling of all the great content you'll find at BaseballHQ.com all the time, and why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular HQ Radio commentaries. Coming up, we have the frequent flyer and our pitcher matchups report. And leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And here with a look at Detroit outfield prospect Kristen Stewart is Baseball HQ Minor Leagues analyst Rob Gordon. The Detroit Tigers are in full-blown rebuilding mode, but have actually been better at the major league level than many anticipated, and entering the weekend they're just three games behind division-leading Cleveland. That respectable start isn't likely to last, but Tigers fans should take some optimism going forward as the club continues to restock at the minor league level. One player who should be up by midseason is the club's top position prospect, Christian Stewart. The 24-year-old Stewart is off to a blistering start at AAA Toledo, hitting 441 over his last 10 games, and now sports a year-to-day slash line of 312 with a 409 on base percentage and a very impressive 597 slugging percentage with 5 doubles and 5 home runs. He also has 12 walks and 14 strikeouts and 77 at-bats. His 15% K rate is a huge improvement over his 25% strikeout rate he posted in 2017. Stewart's best position defensively is in the batter's box, and his speed and arm limit him to left field, but he really profiles better as a full-time DH. At 6 feet 215 pounds, Stewart is physically mature and has above-average raw power. If he can consolidate his improved plate discipline and contact skills, he should be able to hit 25-plus home runs in the majors, though the jury is still out if he will ever hit for average. Owners in deep AL-only format should keep an eye on Stewart, as his quick start should have him in Motown by midseason, and he could prove to be a cheap source of second-half power. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues, 
All season long, the BaseballHQ.com scouting team has reports and updates on the top prospects, moves within organizations, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. This week's prospect coverage includes daily call-up reports on Atlanta right-hander Mike Soroka, Minnesota right-hander Fernando Romero, both those guys had terrific debuts, and all the other call-ups are recovered as well, and in the eyes have it. HQ scout Chris Blessing puts his eyes on super prospect outfielder Eloy Jimenez and not-so-super outfield prospect Monty Harrison. These days, knowing about the prospects can mean the difference in our leagues, and Baseball HQ has the prospect tools you can use to make that difference. Now it's time for our frequent flyer commentary, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available in your free agent pool, and they have the potential to deliver those big returns. This week's frequent flyer is Mets first baseman Peter Alonso, and here to tell you more is Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. April showers bring May flowers, but look who's now raining in double-A. Leading double-A and the Binghamton Rumble Ponies in home runs is none other than 23-year-old New York Mets first baseman Peter Alonzo. In fact, last week, April 25th through April 29th to be exact, Peter Alonzo launched four round trippers in four straight games. It's no surprise, really, as raw plus-plus power is his calling card, according to Baseball HQ's 2018 Minor League Baseball Analyst, which correctly describes Peter Alonzo as a big-bodied, powerful right-handed slugger who flourished his full-season debut to the tune of 18 home runs in a 93-game injury-shortened 2017 campaign. For those of you keeping score at home, that translates to blasting roughly one home run in every five games on average in 2017, despite breaking his left hand last April. Wow, very impressive. Almost as impressive as his reported 421-foot and 429-foot moonshots in the 2015 College World Series. Still, unofficially, the longest two home runs to date at Omaha's TD Ameritrade Park. No doubt that kind of power will play everywhere in the major leagues. But let's not forget that Peter Alonso is also currently slashing 393, 385, and 762 with a 1252 OPS through 23 games at AA in 2018, supported by a 311 career batting average at the minors. Nevertheless, Peter Alonso is not currently on New York's 40-man roster and has Adrian Gonzalez, Dominic Smith, Wilmer Flores, and maybe even Jay Bruce ahead of him on the Mets' depth chart. That's why Peter Alonso, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot who may be worth a flyer if he is still available in your league. Just keep in mind that Adrian Gonzalez, who was signed to a league minimum one-year contract for 2018, is currently batting only 232 through his first 69 at-bats and generally sits against left-handed pitching. Plus, 22-year-old former first-round draft pick and our July 21, 2017 frequent flyer, Dominic Smith, who many still view as the Mets' first baseman of the future, struggled during his brief 49-game call-up last September, but batted 330 with 16 home runs at AAA in 2017 before suffering a quad injury early in 2018. Healthy now, Dominic Smith is currently batting 270 with two home runs through 24 games at AAA Las Vegas. Still, it's an interesting situation developing in Flushing Meadows. Then again, Peter Alonso is definitely making a statement. 
and you will too when you consider adding Peter Alonzo, our frequent flyer for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky at BaseballHQ.com. Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has our frequent flyer comment here on Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for pitcher matchups. Our matchups are rated on a scale of plus 5 to minus 5, with starts higher than plus 1 rated as strong starts, while starts rated at minus 0.5 or worse are rated as weak starts. In between, well, they're judgment calls. Here with a scan of Houston right-hander Charlie Morton in Arizona to face the Diamondbacks right-hander Zach Greinke and some other matchups this weekend is Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick. We begin the Merry Merry Month of May with our marquee matchup featuring an interleague affair on Saturday. The American League West division-leading Houston Astros visit the National League West division-leading Arizona Diamondbacks to play in Phoenix's humidor-friendly Chase Field. The Astros send 34-year-old right-hander Charlie Morton to the hill with a matchup rating of 135. And the Snakes counter with 34-year-old right-hander Zach Grenke, who has a matchup rating of 168. Grenke is thoroughly enjoying the humidor's effect. In his three home starts, Grenke has allowed only four earned runs. In 19 innings pitched to Chase, he's walked only two and struck out 21. Grenke's average PQS score at home is three, and he's coming off a PQS dominant four against the Dodgers. After six starts this season, Grenke has a career-high base performance value, or BPV, of 182, a career-high command ratio of 10.5 strikeouts per walk, and an expected ERA below three. After his six games started this season, Morton boasts even more career-best marks than Grenke. Listen to this list. ERA and expected ERA. WHIP. Opponents on base average, dominance ratio or strikeouts per nine, command ratio or strikeouts per walk, first pitch strike rate, swinging strike rate, velocity, and base performance value. In the interest of full disclosure, though, Morton also has had career best luck in hit rate and strand rate. Still, this should be a marquee matchup worthy of its billing. As of this recording, the Diamondbacks have the best home record in Major League Baseball, are second to Boston in record versus teams at or above 500, and are 10 and 6 versus right-handers. The Astros are 14 and 6 versus right-handers, tied for seventh in record versus teams at or above 500, and have the third best road record. We could have another marquee matchup this weekend if Boston left-hander Eduardo Rodriguez returns as expected from family medical leave to make his Saturday start in Texas. Rodriguez was given a matchup rating of 095 before that leave was announced. He would face Rangers left-hander Cole Hamels, who has a matchup rating of 125. Despite his stay-away surface stats, especially his whip of 139 stemming from 16 walks in 40 innings pitched, Hamels has struck out 47 and put up a BPV of 113, logging four PQS decent threes in seven games started. Rodriguez has started 20 or more games in each of the past three seasons, and Saturday's start would be his 71st in the majors. In five starts thus far this season, Rodriguez is posting career bests in opponents on base average, expected ERA, ground ball to fly ball ratio, swinging strike rate, and base performance value. 
He was the subject of an April 22 factor fluke analysis by BaseballHQ.com's Derek Boyd, and Boyd concluded that Rodriguez is a 2018 breakout candidate. We'll close our report with this weekend's maximum and minimum matchup ratings for daily leaguers. The maximum matchup rating belongs to National League Pitcher of the Month for April, reigning National League Cy Young Award winner Max Scherzer of the Washington Nationals. For his home start Sunday, Scherzer has an off-the-charts matchup rating of 339, and he fully deserves it, sitting atop the National League in strikeouts with 57 and wins with 4. Scherzer also finished April with the league's fourth-best ERA and whip. The visiting Philadelphia Phillies send Jake Arietta to the mound. Arietta has a matchup rating of minus 091. Scherzer should enjoy another strong outing and the Nats should cruise to victory by virtue of that whopping one-sided matchup rating differential of 430. Our minimum matchup rating of minus 161 belongs to Texas Rangers right-hander Doug Fister. Fister has a home start this Sunday against the American League East Division League-leading Boston Red Sox. As of this recording, the Red Sox lead Major League Baseball in wins, road wins, run differential, record versus right-handers, and record versus teams under 500. It should be bombs away for Boston batters on Sunday. To make matters worse for the Rangers, they face the man with the second-highest matchup rating of the weekend, Chris Sale at 286. That's a matchup rating differential of 447, the largest of the weekend. Check our site for updated matchup information every day. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. Greg Fishwick is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has the weekend pitcher matchups here at Baseball HQ Radio all during the season. When we return, it's part two of our feature expert interview with Brent Hershey, the co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com. That's coming up next on Baseball HQ Radio. And I don't want the worst umpire in the league telling me where we are in the standing. He can call me a worst manager. I'll buy that. But I don't need to be reminded of this club is in the standing. By somebody that can't do their job, that never has been able to do their job. Myself, the coaches, and the players can take only so much of this crap. That was a classic the last two games, I'm going to tell you right now. 23 years, that's the worst I ever saw. Now, when they want to me personally, again, I don't give a shit. Because I got more time than all those out there. But when they start talking about this ball club, don't back me up against the fucking wall. Because if it weren't for the good umpires in the league, all the other guys out there, HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for part two of our feature expert interview with Brent Hershey, the co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com. Brent, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be here. This week's uh, in the GM's office column at BaseballHQ.com, your co-general manager, Ray Murphy, who runs the administrative and technical end of the site, ran an assessment of our new pitcher matchups tool. Uh, let's start off with a brief reminder of how the tool has been upgraded. Sure. Um, we uh, Before this, we had a pitcher matchups tool um, for the past several years uh, that was based on our uh, pure quality start uh, metric P- PQS. Um, which, uh, you know, encapsulates, uh, encapsulates kind of one number, um, kind of on a one to five scale, um, for each specific start. And, and so we used, uh, pitchers, uh, history, 
of, of that and some of the opponent's um, history, too, as far as what kind of, uh, what kind of offense they uh, acquired or, 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 or put forth and how that affected uh, PQS scores to come up with this um, matchup score. Um, th- that was the old system. Um, we upgraded or, or changed uh, some of the PQS inputs um, several years ago to kind of reflect um, this new kind of pitcher, more strikeouts uh, era, um, and and found that the tool, the pitcher matchups tool, then um, didn't do quite a good a job uh, as previously in kind of um, identifying these strong starts of the day or these judgment calls uh, or these weak starts. Um, and I think I think that we thought the pitcher matchups tool was helpful. Um, not only for uh, DFS players who you're going to pick that day, um, but also for uh, fancy players that have uh, daily transactions. Uh, we also had a we also have an eight day scan there, so you can kind of before you set your lineups, if you're in a weekly league, uh, can see what the matchup scores are. So we thought it was a valuable uh, tool, and one of our um, one of our researchers, researchers Eric Floramonte. Um, spent a bunch of time in kind of uh, redoing uh, this tool um, last year, and we um, we ran it out there for the last couple weeks of the season um, last year, and this year kind of have it have it fully implemented um, into the site. And it kind of uh, the, the, the neat thing about it, I think, is that it it gives an overall uh, score for and, and a kind of a ranking. Uh, for all that day's pitchers uh, in general, but then it also breaks um, breaks it down into um, several of the categories uh, and a score for several of the categories that we use uh, that, that many of us use in uh, rotisserie. So, for instance, there's a there's a wins score for the day, and there's a, a strikeouts and ERA and WHIP, and so some of those um, uh, you know some of those you can target especially I think later in the season uh, if you're trying to um, if you're trying to catch up in a weekly or you know in a, in a traditional league seasonal league in strikeouts you might pay a little bit more attention to that day's strikeout scores because there'll be guys that have uh, high strikeout scores that may have uh, only mediocre kind of overall scores um, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of kind of inputs that Eric um, you know, put together, uh, and it is a very complex um, formula um, to have to have this uh, to have this kind of spit out these uh, numbers. Uh, but uh, we were, uh, you know, we were excited to uh, to work with him and, and develop in that, and think it's a definite um, upgrade to our um, you know our, our uh, matchup scores from the past. And it drives our kind of daily matchups column, where uh, a writer takes that day's kind of starting pitcher slate and write about it. Um, and so, yeah, we're excited to have that as part of the as part of the slate this year. 
When I was reading Ray's story, he said that there's like dozens and dozens and dozens of formulas all feeding into the master algorithm, which is uh, pr pretty impressive in its own right. It makes it very complex, I understand. And Ray said it was quite a challenge to get it all, you know, fine-tuned so that it was working uh, pretty well. One of the interesting aspects, I thought, in the formulas that power the engine, Brent, is that the system gradually sort of crossfades between last season stats and the new in-season stats as the in-season stats start to take on more weight and become more usable in, in so far as sample size is concerned. That's a, that's a really important development. Yeah, um, it, it keeps us, you know, it keeps us definitely up to date with, uh, with these developmental changes that uh, some of these pitchers might be facing. Um, a lot of what I understand, you know, a lot of where the data comes from is a uh, specific pitcher um, to hitter, uh, uh, you know, plate appearances, basically. Um, and so it's something that uh, I think with as little, I'm not sure if I'm going to get it exactly right, but with as little as 30 plate appearances, it's kind of uh, able to successfully you know, and Eric showed this in kind of the back testing he did, sort of successfully um, predict kind of what, you know, you know, a range of kind of what kind of strikeout rate uh, that this pitcher can um, expect. And again, it's, it's based also on the, on the opposing team that day and their kind of tendencies for strikeouts, uh, runs scored, um, and that kind of thing. Um, but you know, it also takes into effect. Uh, it also takes into an account um, some park effect stuff. Um, it's you know hit rate and home run rate, kind of batted ball distribution um, history with the, with the pitchers, um, and then again as well as uh, the opponents. Um, and then uh, yeah, and then, and then and then kind of spits out some estimates that that get uh, that get graded on this on this scale. And Ray did assess the uh, performance of the tool so far this year. How did the results come out? Yeah, pretty well. I mean, it's just uh, the first four weeks, um, but it uh, has seemed to do a really good job of kind of identifying, um, you know, and, and uh, of identifying these pockets of value. Um, and, you know, we all, the, the, you know, the Kershaws and the Klubers and all that sort of thing and Syndergaards, uh are always going to come out on top, but it's those um, on these lists. But it's often more interesting, and we're trying to kind of focus on and getting our writers to focus on these guys sort of in the middle, um, you know, maybe emerging uh, guys and maybe veteran guys that are pitching better than we expected. Um, and so, you know, and, and so far it seemed to be kind of identify um, some of these uh, individual aspects again era or whip or k you know strong starts for that uh, as well as overall guys and so we uh when a guy like that sort of pops into the um you know maybe a veteran sort of pops into that strong start category for that one day um gives our analysts the cue to kind of look and say um you know why is that and how and you know here's why we're uh confident that that uh, he'll have some good starts. So Ray, um, yes, did put in a bunch of time testing it uh, so far in real time, and um, I know he's going to do that um, more as uh, he's going to revisit that a couple times here as the season goes along. Because again, the uh, as you say, the the uh, new season uh, stats kind of 
uh, eventually are going to run and feed into the whole uh, system. So we uh, we think that the accuracy will continue to um, you know to continue to be very good as uh, as we bank more uh, more starts through the current season. And I think that'll be helpful for those that that use the tool. And finally, uh, one of the site's core philosophies is that subscribers and users should use our information and analysis as part of their decision-making process, not in place of their decision-making processes. Ray seemed to reinforce that point in his article when he said that there was a surprisingly strong matchup score for, of all people, Mike Fires in a start against Baltimore. And then he advised that maybe you should look at that and then go look at it for yourself. What do you think is the correct way for users to apply not only the matchup score recommendations, but all of the tools at Baseball HQ? Yeah, I mean, that's that's always been, uh, I mean, I just echo what Ray said. That's always been kind of our uh, <clears throat> goal. Um, people, you know, subscribers, um, obviously come to us for the information, but it's just always more, uh, fulfilling, I think, for people to, to to kind of take our recommendations or our observations, and then kind of think about that for themselves. And we talked about this uh, in the in the chat questions we get. You know, I mean, context is always important. You have your own league parameters, uh, your own you know group of buddies it may be, or or online uh, makeup of your league. Um, you may have, uh, you know, various uh, other uh, formats. You may play seven by seven and add quality starts and OPS or whatever. Um, but we always try to keep, in general, <clears throat> our content and kind of recommendations broad enough that it that it can be applicable for uh, any you know anyone doing kind of fantasy baseball. And then that goes in hand in hand with here's some recommendations that we see. Um, please, you know, take that and, 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 and feed that into kind of your decision-making process, either for whether to start Mike Fires that day or like, no way, I hate Mike Fires. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna listen to you guys. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's fine too. But for us, that's, uh, one thing we think, hope this tool does is, uh, make people aware of some of those, uh, abnormalities um, and, and so, and to maybe lessen some of those surprises, um, and, uh, you know, and, and kind of give you an edge that way, assuming that, assuming that those, uh, that those surprises work out. And also uh, you have to, it would, depending on what format you're playing and what game you're playing, but I know in DFS, uh, the, uh, the question of salary comes into effect immediately. You look at the, uh, you know, look at that. Uh, Chris Sale's a plus three or whatever. Uh, great, I'll just sign Chris Sale. Only he's fifteen thousand eight hundred on the DFS salary scale, which is, you know, close to a third of your entire salary. And at that point, you have to say, well, wait a second, is he that much better than this guy at eighty eight hundred, who's only a, you know, one point eight or whatever? So there are still questions uh, that you have to answer for yourself and make decisions for yourself about. I think that's uh, an interesting thing. Any other cool new stuff coming before we leave this topic? Um, not, uh, th- there may be some adjustments to, um, maybe, maybe some adjustments to our minor league, uh, coverage, uh, a bit specifically, um, looking at the possibility of, uh, of, uh, tweaking some of the 
um, content that we do in our uh, minor league baseball analyst book. That's still in the real early stages. Um, that's something that's on our uh, radar. But for right now, um, that's that's the main thing. We're uh, excited. We have a couple uh, you know, new newer in season columns now that we have a bank of uh, statistics to kind of use for this year. Uh, that will be starting soon. Uh, Factor Fluke Spotlight will be returning in a couple of weeks, which is always a fun kind of real deep one-player dive um, into some emerging players. Uh, we're excited to have uh, Fred Zinke, who started writing for us um, in right around opening day. Um, so that's, that's some of the new uh, things that we have uh, planned, and it's important for us to continue to um, think along those lines. Um just because, uh, you know, we want to give certainly our paying subscribers, um, you know, every everything we can to help them uh, kind of win their leagues, things that they are not able to find um, elsewhere. So. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt with Brent Hershey, co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com. And Brent, during the season, I like to ask our experts to talk about players that you think might be boons and banes for the rest of the fantasy season. Uh, and let's start with your boons. These are guys you think should interest our listeners for the balance of the year. We'll start in the American League. Who's a hitter you think might be a boon? Uh, I've been a, a big Nick Castellanos fan Um during the off season, and and uh, although the, uh, the power so far um, has been a little disappointing, uh, I, I still think uh, with this, he's hitting a lot of line drives. Uh, the one thing that really stands out to me in his uh, numbers is this uh, hard contact rate, which was uh, one thirty five last year. And again, hard contact rate is a uh, combination of hard hit rate as well as uh, contact rate, obviously. Uh, those two things, uh, and it's you know it, it can be uh, uh, correlated probably closely kind of to exit velocity. Anyway, the point is he he had a 135 where 100 is kind of the uh, the baseline last year, and this year it's only gotten better. It's up to 140, uh, which is really neat, an elite level. So I'm I'm I, I think uh, Castellanos. Uh, don't forget about him, even though Detroit uh, obviously is is, is not a uh, fantasy hotbed right now. Uh, but I like uh, Nick Castellanos for the rest of the season. And in the National League, who's a boon hitter? Uh, again, a little bit along that line. Uh, but I've I've been impressed with uh, Franchi Cordero out in San Diego. I know that there's some playing time issues to be worked out. Um, but you see, uh, again, sort of, and he's a big, you know, obviously exit velocity guy, uh, has a big hard contact number. Uh, there's more, <clears throat> there's more risk here because there's a good bit of swing and miss in this game. Um, but I, I have a, you know, it, it seems to me it would not surprise me at all if he sort of found his uh, spot and and the Padres kind of um, found playing time for him uh, throughout the year. And I think they would be rewarded with uh, some really good power numbers. Um, not the complete player, sort of uh, like Castellanos and some of the other ones, but I think a, a real good power source for the rest of the season. Might be a bit of a hit to the batting average because of the strikeouts, so uh, keep that in mind, I guess. Uh, over to the pitching. Uh, who's an American League pitcher you think will be a boon? I think, and this has to do with kind of our expectations, or at least my expectations, but uh, I'm just so interested in Jay Happ. Um, I, you know, he's he is 35, but I, I think the, you know, I'm beginning to think that this is real, at least for a short-term time. 
Um, this year, his strikeouts have have uh, gone up, and his swinging swinging strikes, which we use to kind of validate that, also have gone up. Um, he doesn't walk guys. I just think he has a you know has a sort of a sneaky value because uh, I mean, it, for me anyway, even though he's pitched well the past couple of years, I'm like, well, Jay Happ, he's uh, you know a number three, number four sort of starter. I think uh, I think that there might be a little bit more than that uh, there as far as uh, fantasy value. Um, so I would I would encourage people to take another look at, uh, at Hap if they had him. And another beneficiary of the, hey, David had him last year school of, uh, of uh, pitcher analysis, uh, something about him. Leading that, indicator. <laughs> yeah, a leading into leading imitator, yeah. Uh, you know he was a he was a big strikeout guy a few years ago or bigger, and all of a sudden this year twelve point five strikeouts per nine up from sort of the eight area. Does that concern you at all? Um, no, because again, uh, his swinging strikes are have have gone up at the same time. So that uh, that that tells me that there's a stuff uh, sort of uh, bump. Too. Now, am I going to expect him to do, you know, to stay at twelve for the whole year? Uh, probably not. Um, but I, but again, I think what in, what what makes me think about uh, putting him on this list as someone we should uh, take a look at positively um, is those swinging strikes, um, is that swinging strike rate um, that has gone up. Yeah, I like the swinging strike too, and it's the one thing that makes me think he could maintain uh, a strikeouts per nine rate well above what we're used to—that eight, eight, and eight point two kind of level. I'm not saying he's going to stay at up, up around twelve, but I could certainly see him staying at ten point five or something like that. Because, as you say, the uh, swinging strike thing is a stuff thing. It's not a. Uh, it's not a. It's not sort of guys just striking out the, in a short run that has affected the dominance rate. Uh, I think that Jay Happ is probably for real, uh, just as you do. And finally, how about a pitcher in the National League who's a boon? Uh, I'm I'm going with uh, Sean Newcomb uh, in Atlanta. Again, um, looking at these kind of sub indicators. I mean, he he always, or you know, last year anyway, and kind of through the minors. Um, you know, good velocity, uh, good size from the left-hand side. Um, a good number of strikeouts, but the walks were really, um, you know, really held him back. Five point one, I think, uh, walks per nine uh, last year. And wh- and while it's not, you know, pristine command uh, so far, it's you know he's got his walk rate down to three point nine. Again, it's uh, it's a uh, you know it's a first pitch strike thing has really um, stepped up for him. He was, uh, you know, 59% last year, which is, uh, you know, just a tick under. You kind of look at around uh, 60 as kind of being league, league average. But he's bumped that up to 65%. And, um, you know, with the works uh, Stephen Nickran's done and kind of correlating that first, first pitch strike rate um, to a walk rate, uh, that's the kind of movement you want to see that makes you, you know, a lot like half the swinging strikes say, uh, well, this, this uh, better – Walk rate uh, could be sustainable for Newcomb. Um, there's certainly uh, lots of opportunity uh, there in that rotation, um, and uh, you know there'll be lots of things. The Braves have lots of young pitchers. Uh, obviously, Soroka debuted this week, and they've got more of them down on the farm. But I think uh, I think Newcomb, so far anyway, has established himself to be one of those guys. And um, if you know, I think with his with his high strikeout rate. 
um, you know, you can take a little more walk. He's never going to be a huge uh, whip uh, kind of asset, um, but I think he uh, can be a good pitcher um, uh, as long as he can keep uh, those guys, as long as he can control kind of the uh, free passes. Brent Hershey's Boons, Nick Castellanos of Detroit, Franchi Cordero of San Diego, Jay Happ in Toronto, and Sean Newcomb of Atlanta. Let's move over to the Baines. These are guys about whom you think listeners should be cautious. Uh, again, we'll start in the American League. Who's a hitter? Who's a Bane for the rest of the year? Uh, and, and, uh, I, I picked out Justin Smoke, and you may have something to say about this, too, uh, given that you're up there in Toronto. But I, I see as you know, expected uh, power numbers are down. Uh, his uh, contact rate has kind of, uh, which was a big deal last year when when he uh, kind of broke out, finally uh, made better contact. That has kind of regressed some. I'm just not sure, you know, his hard contact is rate is down. So I'm not sure that he can repeat, uh, you know, or, or get to that kind of 30, you know, solid 30s home run power. I think that, uh, you know, that, that he's learned some things and will be, you know, better to, kind of than the years uh, preceding 2017, but I think uh, I have I have some doubts about him uh, repeating uh, that 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 year last year. And just uh, as a coincidence, a guy I had last year and retained this year, so that probably explains that at least part of the uh, issue with his uh, lesser performance this year. Also, his wife was pregnant uh, at the start of the year, and I think we sometimes underestimate the importance of those kind of family issues, especially I don't know this is the case, but sometimes pregnancies can be difficult and, you know, they, they wear on your mind. And uh, certainly we've seen that with other players uh, here in Toronto and, and elsewhere. Uh, who's a National League hitter who you think could be a bane? Uh, well, in the Hap category, since I already uh, did Jay, uh, Jay Hap, uh, I'm going to say Ian Hap. Uh, that, you know, got us excited with that first pitch kind of home run on opening day. Um, but I, I have real problems with anyone with a 51% contact rate, uh, at this point. Um, he's had kind of swing and miss issues in the past. Um, and yes, when he connects, he has some power and has kind of that speed too. But I think, you know, as you're seeing kind of his, um, seems like his decreased playing time there in Chicago, uh, he's got some things, got, got some things to work on. So, um, yeah, I, I think even though we like to grab onto these young guys and, oh, you know, maybe he's just one adjustment away and that sort of thing, uh, it's a pretty big adjustment uh, when you're only making contact half of the time. Um, so I would say uh, Ian Happ is someone I would, uh, you know, say needs a good bit of work before I'm ready to hitch my wagon there. You mentioned a 51% contact rate. Clearly, that's uh, that's underperforming and certainly and certainly uh, below league norms. But when I started at Baseball HQ, we used to say that the sort of league average, the the minimum acceptable level was 80%. And I know that's come down over the years. But what is it these days? What do we uh, recommend uh, as far as hitters are concerned for a minimum contact rate? It seems got to be lower than 80. Yeah, um, just looking in the. Uh you know the league average uh last year the league average was 76% um so uh, you know i think i think we're kind of we in in this uh you know we kind of look for um something in the 80 low 80 kind of range to say that that's the you know sort of best case scenario um but yeah that, that certainly 
like like we talked about, the strikeouts are up, and it has um, you know the contact rate league wide has come down uh, some, and so uh, you know our expectations, especially for us old timers, uh, you know, kind of need to shift um, as uh, as this new reality takes place. Over to the pitcher's mound. Uh, who in the American League looks like a bane pitcher for you? Uh, I, I have Sonny Gray for the Yankees now. He did have a, a little bit better start this year. Um, but here's a guy, again, uh, you know, who never kind of had a, a walk problem before. He's walking guys like crazy. Um, his his first pitch strike rate is down to 51%, which, again, um, you know, is a, is a really low mark. Um, average we kind of look for is around 60 um and but the other thing is that you know when he came over to yankees last year uh we all know about the crazy park effects there but we we said whoa but uh you know sonny gray he's a big ground ball guy uh you look at his ground ball rates uh up before this year they were um 54 percent 53 and you know all above most of them above 50 throughout the year and you know the idea being that that helps uh that he'll be more, he'll be more successful there if he keeps the ball uh, on the ground rather than in the air, given uh, how the ball, balls fly out of, out of there. Um, and you know, and this year, while it's it's still decent, it's like I think a forty six percent something like that ground ball rate. Um, you know, that sort of advantage that we think about, or uh, the advantage that he has with having a heavy heavy you know throwing a heavy sinker and having the ground ball rate coming over. Um, you know, kind of is is mitigated if it, if he's just at forty six percent. So with those couple factors, uh, I'm uh, I'm not that high on uh, Sonny Gray anyway um, for this year. And finally, a pitcher in the National League who's a bane. Um, yeah, I t- chose Chase Anderson of the Brewers. Um, I mean, he's just getting he's getting by. He's winning with. You know, a 21% hit rate and an 81% strand rate at this point. His XERA right now is 464. Um, his Ks are, you know, his, his strikeouts are back down um, after a little bump last year. Um, he's just not he's not the skilled pitcher that you would hope to see. Um, you know, of you know, his underlying metrics aren't aren't uh, reflective of his uh, good ERA at this point. So I think his numbers are are uh, bound to uh, get worse here as the season goes on, uh, assuming the peripherals stay the same. And so I'm, I'm certainly not a buyer at this point on Chase Anderson. Brent Hershey's Baines, his hitters, Justin Smoke of Toronto and Ian Happ of the Cubs, his pitcher, Sonny Gray of the Yankees, Chase Anderson of Milwaukee. Brent, this has been a slice. Uh, thanks very much for helping us out. Uh, tell us where listeners can read more from Brent Hershey. Yeah, um, we have a, uh, Ray and I split a, uh, like you said, the GM's office column uh, every week there on um, on BaseballHQ.com. Uh, you can find my little uh, flakes, which include uh, sometimes uh, some scouting notes from games I attend uh, on Twitter. Uh, and you can uh, follow me there on uh, at BrentHQ. Um, and those are the two uh, main ways I do some I do some scouting articles also on the site uh, from time to time, um, and uh, you know have had had one a couple weeks ago uh, included uh, Vladimir Guerrero and Bo Bichette, um, and I think I have one here in a couple days uh, with a couple other uh, prospects I was able to see. Um, but uh, appreciate the time uh, and glad to come on and help you out at any point. You do a great job, and I know the. Uh, Listeners, uh, appreciate the good work you do.
Thanks, Brent. Talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, PD. Brent Hershey is a columnist and member of the site scouting team at BaseballHQ.com, and he's the co-general manager of the site. Next up, our weekly talk with Todd Zola and Master Notes, all coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. Brent Hershey is co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com and a scout at the site as well. When we come back, it's our weekly talk with Todd Zola and Master Notes next on Baseball HQ Radio. You worried about getting fined? He's going on to get fined. I should get fined a dog not penny. He screws something up, but I get fined for it. He makes a bad call. All I'm doing is telling him in the dugout the ball's high. He's got rabbit ears and looks over at me, and then he throws me out of the game. Then he tells me I want showtime. Who should get fined? Why don't umpires get fined? I get fined. I can't throw him out. That's what bothers me about the game. Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular weekly talk with Todd, and I'm happy to once again say to Todd Zola, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Good to be back with you, PD. I saw something you wrote on Twitter just the other day in the wake of Josh Hader in Milwaukee uh, firing nothing but seeds and uh, basically nobody being able to hit him, and it's very exciting to see a young guy like this. But you've been around the game a long time. You uh, specialize in projecting player performance, and I'm wondering how you look at a guy like Josh Hader who comes in with such a burst into the big leagues and makes such a huge impression. There's a huge amount of hype and discussion going on. Uh, you hear nothing but Josh Hader on SiriusXM Fantasy. You read nothing but Josh Hader on a lot of the tout sites. Everybody's real excited about Josh Hader. Should I bid all thousand fab dollars? These kind of questions. And what I wonder is, a guy like you, when you take a step back, the first question is, how much do you trust an early explosive start like this, and how do you assess it? Yeah, it's weird that it took Josh Hader to get Shohei Otani off of the headlines. It, I mean, you know, as a fan, you know, it's just so, it's just so fun watching this guy come out and just blow people away. You know, he's a lefty. He doesn't care if he's facing a righty or lefty. Just goes after them. But sure, I mean, if a, if a guy with a, I don't know, a, a 7 or 8 per 9 strikeout rate suddenly jumps to 10, you're going to have some caution. This is a guy that we expect to strike out 12 or 13 per game in a relief role. So he's at 19 now. But what is what is innings? He's got 10, 18 innings. That's gonna you know if he if he has a bad outing and only fans one guy, it's just that's gonna drop. So I think with Hader you expect strikeouts, but I'm seeing you know he could end up the first reliever since what Mike Marshall to have over 200 Ks. Let's slow our roll on that. Let's be satisfied that he's gonna you know lead lead relievers in strikeouts. Let's be happy with over 100. Let's not start talking 200. We don't know what you know innings and everything else. So as a fan, it's fun, but as you know, projection guy, you know, I'm not suddenly upping the projection to 15, 16, 17, 18 strikeouts per nine. It, you know, it, it's to me, it, it just justifies the 12 or 13 that we originally planned. The first thing I look at, Todd, when I see something like this is, is there an explanation of any kind? And typically when you're looking at pitchers, I always say, is he throwing a different pitch? Is he, has he changed his pitch mix? Has he somehow discovered right. some way of getting a lot more movement, like putting top pine tar on the balls, uh, so, you know, something like that. So is there an explanation like that that you've found? No, and, excuse me, and, and again, in only 18 innings, I don't know that we could that we could make that call. I mean, a lot of it, it went up when he had what the eight and the nine, eight, eight when he you know fanned eight batter eight hitters and nine, uh, fanned eight and nine hitters just the other night, 
and you know he still was striking out at a really good rate before that but it just maybe it was, was one of those nights where the adrenaline or the umpire or the other team just started you know getting caught up in the emotion too already defend the first threes fan the first four and now they're flailing away so you know i don't see it happen you can't take that outing out but if you take that outing out it's just a regular you know it's it's a it's a, a high k reliever so you know that outing is probably not going to happen again he goes back to throwing 12 or 13 strikeout k per nine and you know maybe the end number is a little tick higher because that that's in there but at the end of the day, he's still the same guy that he was. How about in his minor league track record? Does that weigh on your on your estimation at all? You see a little bit. Now he was a you know I think most people realize that he was a starter, and I you know we we can discuss the merits of potentially converting him back to starting, but he was a starter throughout most of his minor league career, and he was you know he was whiffing guys left and right back in the minors, and he was actually. Actually, he looks like he was sort of on par for his level. We like to look at age versus level. He may have been a little early, early young for his level because he started so young. But he took he was in AAA for a couple of years, AA for a couple of years, actually better the part of three seasons. So when once he got to the trip the AA level, it sort of evened out. He was no longer ahead of his level when he last year when he was 22. Then he became 23 in AAA. So he really was on par with his level uh, towards the end. But normally. You expect to see an uptick in strikeouts when you convert from being a starter to reliever. You can go all out. You can focus on your better pitches. Part of Hader's issue was he doesn't have more enough pitches to be a starter. At least that's what they say. So I do look at it, and you, uh, to me, I, if, if, if I, I think I was more towards he's going to walk fewer than strike out more. I mean, when you're already striking out 10 or 11 as a starter, I don't think you're going to strike out, you know, 14 or 15. But, and as it sort of has come to fruition, this year anyway, he's walking fewer. Last year, he walked four, over four per nine, and, it, and, and he's down to two and a half. So if anything, the the walks could, you know, the, the strikeouts would be there. I'd like to make sure over the course of the season that he continues to exhibit the better control. That's sort of been his his bugaboo coming up. Yeah, when I looked through his minor league uh, track record, I saw one season way, way back in rookie ball, A ball uh, at age 18 when he was striking out 15 per nine, and I imagine that got everybody pretty excited. Mm -hmm. And again, he wasn't a starter that year either. Uh, Of course, at that young age, it's not a real surprise. They just wanted to see what they had. As soon as he went to starting, his his strikeouts per nine fell by half, basically. And then uh, over time, they converted him back and it started to climb. But still, 19 and a half in the major leagues this year is a huge jump from even the 13 that he was posting last year it's like a 50 percent increase in strikeouts and to me it just says small sample size that one big game you mentioned all of this uh, augers that maybe we should be cautious about it but on the other hand we don't want to be too cautious but the other hand if he ends up striking out 14 a game and we predicted 12 or 13 you know it it just i don't i don't know how much of that that changes thing changes things from a fantasy aspect i think if if you know we could if he becomes a starter, that may, I think the conversation becomes more interesting. Um, I haven't heard any mumblings about him becoming a starter anymore. Um, I, I think he's, he's still 24. He's still, obviously they can still make the change, uh, you know, or do they, in today's day and age, today's game, is he just so much more uh, valuable to the team in this you know, we can't even call it the Andrew Miller role anymore. I think Andrew Miller is in the Josh Hader role now. 
I think he's yeah. actually he's actually well Miller's hurt, but uh, the point being, I mean, I, I think Hader is going to become sort of the, uh, the 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 poster boy for this matchup, multi-inning call when you need him sort of role. Yeah, the uh, the the rate of twelve point eight last year, and that was in a relief role in about forty eight innings or so. If you extrapolate that out, and it, you know, to me, a, a big part of this also when we're talking about role is not so much starter versus reliever; it's starter versus ordinary reliever versus multi inning reliever. Because mm-hmm. if he can even maintain thirteen strikeouts or twelve strikeouts per nine, but he manages, they f- they figure out a way to get him into eighty five or ninety innings rather than the usual sixty or sixty five innings. All of a sudden, now you're looking at a guy who's in the low 100s for strikeouts, which makes him competitive with uh, sort of fifth starter, sixth starter type guys, and with the uh, added benefit of much better decimals. Right, and the uh, even when Corey Knable's back, he still may get that multi-inning save. He gets through the eighth inning, and then sure, just leave yeah. him in there. Or, or at least when Knable first comes back, he may not want to go two in a row or three out of four. And they, they know you can put a, a Josh Hader in there and get one of the multi-inning saves, that sort of thing. So he's he's a guy that, and, and we've talked about it, uh, with, with starting pitching as it is, you, you definitely want to have a Hader on your roster to uh, just ease the need to stream that, that back-end starter who just isn't going to, if he only goes four and two-thirds, he's not going to get a win anyway. And Hader can get as many strikeouts in a two-inning performance as some of these streaming pitchers get in four or five innings. And he Hader has a chance for both a win and a save, and the decimals are just so much better. So especially in today's environment where the you know spot starting is just so much harder, and the reason what we talked earlier, um, there's just fewer two-start pitchers now. That 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 narrative may go away because of so many double headers with all the uh, with all the uh, postponements early on. I haven't checked yet, but there's a pretty good chance that a lot of these off days are going to be washed away with uh, the two start weeks be- because of the uh, additional games being played. But even still, in today's today's numbers, you 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 want or with with the numbers today, you want Hater or a star. Or, you know, he's he's the best. But you know, you, everybody can't have him. You want a reliever like Hater uh, and your staff to, to to float in when you need to instead of. You know, go your six starters, two closers, and hater uh, instead of putting in. Um, you know, I can't think of a of a, of a back end pitcher off the top of my head. You know, that you want to float in there just to uh, just to try to pick up a win in a in a what seemingly is a good matchup. Josh Tomlin. Josh Tomlin. There we go. Staying kind of on the same theme, Todd. Uh, at Rotowire, you had a column in your Z files uh, called "What Me Worry," and you were talking about <laughs> some of the pitchers that you have on in multiple lineups. You play a lot of different lineups, and how you're sticking with them, even though some of them are off to pretty slow starts. And I can see guys like Zach Granke and Robbie Ray. I mean, there's obvious skill there. You got to hang with them. Uh, before we talk about Luis Castillo in particular, I wanted you to talk briefly about uh, explaining your philosophy with respect to when to bench struggling pitchers because basically it seems to me your idea is you don't yeah and it's and it's you know in one of these things that, that it's it's contextual to one's league into one's uh, managerial strength fantasy wise or whatever but my my general philosophy is if I trust a guy in that if I trust a guy who's on my roster if he's on my roster I want to use him and I know that people, you see it all the time, you probably inter- you know, interviewed people that gave this sort of advice, well, leave him on your bench for a couple of starts until he turns it around. Sure, yeah. Well, my, my theory about that is he's been on your bench for a couple of the starts that 
would have been nice to have balance some of the bad numbers he's already given you. Now, you know, the counter to that is, what if it takes four starts before he gets it going again? Well, you have to make that evaluation as the fantasy manager. Do you trust him or not? And if you did trust him, perhaps you were wrong in trusting him, and that's on you for being wrong uh, if you're not seeing anything. So, you know, if, it, if I don't trust it, I will either trade or release. I don't like to reserve a bench spot if I'm not going to use the guy, you know, in a two-start or, or at home at a favorable matchup. If I'm going to sit him until he pitches well, I don't want him on my roster. So, it, you know, I've been burned by it, but if you, you, know, you can't look at one individual. Well, this guy, you know, didn't do good. For, you know, five starts, I'm thinking maybe Joe Musgrove last year was somebody who I stuck with, I stuck with, I stuck with stubbornly. And I think I was, you know, they put me out of my misery by moving me to the bullpen. But the point being, you know, there were there were several other starters that I stuck with and they turned it around and things were good. And I've also done some research that shows that you can absorb a couple of disasters. You know, everybody's going to get some. You can absorb a couple more and not affect your standings too much because the strikeouts and the potential wins balance the 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 disasters and i know this goes anti to you know you can always gain or lose points and whip an era towards the end but both both can be true so i'm a little more aggressive and maybe it has to do with my confidence if you will that i can if i have another bad start from a louis castillo i will find a guy later in the year to make up for it. Now, you could say that, well, you would have gotten that guy anyway, and your numbers would have been better anyway. But, you know, the same confidence I'm showing Castillo, if I show in somebody else, at the end of the day, it, it all washes out and you end up ahead. At least that's the way I like to think. Of course, I don't win every year, so I don't know. But I do think that that's the, uh, I just, I get, it just bugs me when I hear I'm going to leave him on the bench until he has two or three good starts in a row. Because you just, you just lost two or three good starts. Well, you mentioned Luis Castillo, and I think he's an interesting case in point because uh, you kind of have to love the skills, and then at the same time, you look at his uh, at his game log, and there's six earned runs, four earned runs, four earned runs, five earned runs just uh, recently uh, at Minnesota, and he's playing for a poor team, and at a certain point, you think, gosh, his ERA is now up at 785, and his whip is at 167. How much longer can I hang on to this guy waiting for this turnaround? And, of course, he had one uh, just the other day uh, against Milwaukee in uh, Cincinnati. He only gave up two and runs over six innings, which counts as a win for him, I guess, uh, even though he didn't get the win uh, because they didn't score any runs. But you, you know what I mean. It was finally a good outing, seven strikeouts, a single walk. And he's been having those kind of outings. He's just, he's just not been having good results. Yeah, now I, I I was paying attention to that outing because mainly because I I have him in my lineups and people are questioning that decision and so I was kind of kind of rooting for him. He gave up I believe eight hits uh, was Wednesday night and I'm not going to say it was all BABIP. I mean they they hit some balls hard, but that's what Milwaukee's going to do. So it, I don't know if it was the greatest test. It was actually kind of risky to leave him in against Milwaukee, but the upside, as you mentioned, when you play Milwaukee is the strikeouts. So I, I felt the strikeouts and the potential win would have uh, was a balancing was you know against Wade Miley who I never didn't expect to uh, to throw as well as he did. I thought, you know, since he may have a chance for a win here. Um, but, you know, having watched it, I mean, I'm glad I left him in. I mean, so he may be a little lucky that only gave up two runs, but, you know, he only gave up two runs. My whip has hurt a bit, but I got some strikeouts. But Castillo, you know, we're, no, we're numbers people, but, we're you know, we also like to think about the, the human aspect of the game. This is a pitcher that we saw last year basically from June on, and he came up from Pensacola. So 
it's a it came up from a warm weather uh, venue, warm weather city, and we only saw him perform for half a season. But it was it was you know during the warmer months of the year. He's already loose and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not even I don't even want to profile as far as a Latin player or whatever. This to me is just a player that we're basing our our expectations on half a season of numbers without having seen what he would do in April and May in the major leagues. And I, I'm probably guilty of of not taking that into consideration when I when I evaluated him early in the season, which put me on him because I think I was a, a bit ahead of people. But he led the major leagues in, in, in velocity. Uh, and then he has a really good changeup to go along with that. I mean, the numbers... There was there were reasons to be excited about him, and I still think there are. So for those reasons, I just I, I wanted to keep him active, and he was active for me. I believe it was Wednesday night when he when he when he took on as you say the Brewers. But um, I you know if someone wanted to keep him on reserve, you know I'm not going to fight it. But I'm not you know I'm not going to argue the point too much because I do realize what I do is a little bit aggressive. But I just uh, I've kind of done the math and. Big picture-wise, when you look at all the categories and where you are, end up at the end of the season, I to me the aggressive pays off. Now all bets are off the table. If it's a, a maximum innings league, if you only can throw 1,200 to 1,400 innings, where you need to be more judicious with those starts, you can probably find a start along the way to have replaced that one. But in most leagues where there's no innings maximum, I just roll the dice. Yeah, because you feel like the dice are on your side, and it makes sense to do that. You had a comment uh, on your RotoWire article from a reader who's wondering about the uh, this idea of you want to have the pitcher active for his good starts because then they're going to offset the bad. And uh, he said, and I thought this was an interesting question: Isn't it best practice to just say those are sunk costs? That those are uh, those stats are in the bank. There's nothing you can do about them, and that all your decision making should be solely based on looking forward. And your response was. Well, I uh, don't remember exactly because a, a lot of questions, but I mean, if I would have that question now, it's true. And I think that's kind of what my decision making is. I know I said that I want to have some of the good stuff to offset some of the bad stuff. The bad stuff's already there. What I, what I, maybe that's better said is I think that uh, I want to have the good stuff instead of uh, the bad stuff that I still haven't gotten yet. Um, and, and, you know, again, what is done is done. All you care about what's going forward. But um, a lot of pitchers I just have an overall expectation for, and I'm just going to leave them active just because trying to time when they're good and when they're bad is just, just impossible to do. Um, one of the questions, I'm not sure if this question or not, but someone said, isn't, isn't what you're doing chasing regression? And I don't really think it's chasing regression as much as chasing what you expect the player to do going forward. And um, I don't know. So it's not so much... I feel I need to, you know, what's done is done. It's, I just think that going forward, I'm going to get closer to what I, what I want. And, you know, as a, you know, as a side benefit, it helps that it's going to uh, mitigate some of the, the, like you said, the sunk cost that's already there. Yeah, to me, it's a, almost a semantic difference, isn't it? You're, you are, yeah. you're not chasing regression. You're chasing his future stats, which will regress or which you expect to regress compared to what he's done so far just because he's a better pitcher than that. You're not chasing the regression per se. You're chasing the future results, which you're, you were counting on right from the time you drafted the guy. Yeah, and this I'm looking back now. This did this did happen to be the the uh, the gentleman or, or, or woman that that it's Carrie when I'm not not sure if in, in the today's you know if it's a a lady or a gentleman asking me the question. Um, but yeah, they, this is with the part about chasing regression, and uh, 
I, I, you're right. It's probably semantics, and that's you know part of part of the uh, issue with answering questions on Twitter. And at least here in this format, we were allowed to have a bit of an exchange, so we were able to get on the same page uh, with with the answer. And I think we, um, I think we, you know, he, we, I understood his question. He understood my answer, and at least. Um, and actually, that his the final response was, you know, I misunderstanding your treaties as to whether to keep Castillo rostered. So we did kind of, and uh, it took more than 280 words for each, which is why I like answering questions on a forum as opposed to Twitter. But yeah, it, we, uh, we 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 came to a mutual understanding about what I was saying and what he was asking. And if I paraphrase that understanding uh, from your point of view is if the pitcher's worth keeping at all, he's worth keeping active. And if he's not worth keeping active, he's probably not worth keeping at all. Right. Now, having, you know, having said all this, uh, if Luis Casillo's next start was in Colorado, you know, he's on my bench. But, you know, that, <laughs> that, that, that's sort of the extreme. There are, you know, you know there always are. I, I, think it was, I think it was a Sonny Gray start who was actually part of this piece. But it was early in the season. I don't remember. Maybe it was Houston. And, you know, I, I wanted to keep Sonny Gray. You know, he, I, I, I trust Sonny Gray. But I just felt that starting him against the Houston Astros was, you know, sitting him against the Houston Astros at that point was the prudent move. So um, there are there are exceptions. And, you know, when are the exceptions? Well, that's kind of one of the you just kind of know them when you see them. You know, it's one of those, those sort of things. And, you know, sometimes you're wrong. But, um in general, I take the aggressive approach, and because uh, you're going to get strikeouts and you're going to pick up a few slop wins along the way, and people seem to uh, forget. That's my approach with two two start pitchers too, and I go over this all the time with the people. My two start pitch to the two start column, you know, the pitchers jump up. I think Ivan Nova was the one this week. He was like in the top 20 or 30 when he had two starts, but when he when it the, the update when he only was going to pitch one time. It dropped to like a hundred. These are in mixed leagues, uh-huh. so it, it's not sort of a linear thing. That that second start, those those additional strikeouts and potential wins, are so important in a two start week, and they they do balance out ratios. Again, it's contextual to the league. You know, head to head league, you may care more about the ratios, and points league are their own entities. But um, that's one of the issues with doing a a blanket rankings column. You know, they they right. they're not a one size fits all entity. What about though the issue that uh, sometimes you got a two start week and both of the starts are super dangerous? Uh, you know, uh, Houston in Houston and the Rockies in Colorado, say, and your pitcher's not, you know, you know the Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, Corey Kluber type. He's one of your middling starters. You like to get the two starts, but boy, that you're in a case where the two starts could kill you. Yeah, that's kind of. I think you're sort of. Uh, either unconsciously or, or you know whatever serendipitously implying the 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 answer is that the two starts either really really help or really really hurt, and the, so again you know again so uh, the the two bad matchups really drop them because now the the influence of having two bad ratio starts on your record uh, balances the potential wins and strikeouts a lot of times is because you know you can't you can't predict wins and what we do in these sort of you know behind the fourth wall what we do in the, at least what i do in these sort of rankings is um you kind of it, it you give a percentage chance of a win and it's based on how long they go into the game and the opposing team and that sort of thing so you don't predict a win i i, I predict you know 0.33 or 0.72 if it's if it's Scherzer against the the Marlins or something, and then that goes into the uh, into the equation. So the 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 wins aspect 
of a two starts against two really, really good teams, especially if you're matched up against a better pitcher on that team, that's not going to contribute to the overall ranking as much. And yeah, two starts against two poor teams could end up being, oh, well, you know, usually does. If you, if you check out the rankings, it, it drops you a ton. So it's, it's, uh, you, you know, points leagues are different because sometimes if there's not as much negative, negative points allowed, then maybe the two starts even in that scenario do help. But in general, yeah, it jumps you to the top or pushes you way to the bottom. Todd Zola, thanks a million. We'll talk to you again in a week. All right, then. Thank you, PD. Todd Zola writes for Masters Ball, ESPN, and Rotowire, and appears here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for Master Notes, my weekly discussion about baseball and fantasy baseball. And this week, I want to talk about Bauer units. And by the way, this Master Notes is the ass. Do you know what a Bauer unit is? I'll give you a hint. It has to do with pitchers' spin rates, the amount of spin they impart when they throw the baseball. I'll give you some time to think about it. You give up? Bauer units are the name given to a metric that divides a pitch's spin rate by its velocity. The metric was invented by Driveline Bases, the Seattle pitching lab that runs an excellent website about pitcher mechanics. The Bauer unit is named in honor of Cleveland starter Trevor Bauer, who's a very interesting guy, a mechanical engineering major who applies his interest to pitching and who contributes videos to the Driveline site. You really should check it out. Bauer has quite a keen interest in spin rate. He owns one of the advanced machines used to track spin rate, as well as high-speed video cameras and other advanced equipment that help him analyze his own mechanics and to theorize about pitching mechanics in general. And in his experimentation, he has convinced himself, and me for what it's worth, that increasing the stickiness of the fingers-to-ball interface interface, that's me trying to sound like an engineer, whether with pine tar or a blend of melted-down firm grip and Coca-Cola, increases the spin rate. Recently, there's been a bit of a Twitter feud going on lately between Bauer and the Houston Astros. In case you missed the news, being occupied with more important things like, well, pretty much anything, Bauer tweeted on Tuesday this observation, and I quote, if only there was just a really quick way to increase spin rate. Like, what if you could trade for a player knowing that you could bump his spin rate a couple of hundred RPM overnight? Imagine the steals you could get on the trade market. If only that existed. The media inferred from Bauer's sarcastic tweet that he was talking about the Astros, who got a steal on the trade market by acquiring starting pitcher Garrett Cole in the offseason. Cole has started this year as one of the best starters in baseball, with a 173 ERA in six starts and a strikeout percentage just under 40% of batters faced. It's the highest rate in the league for any starter except his teammate Colin McHugh, who is right at 40%. Cole's previous season high was 24%. His performance has fueled rumors that the Astros are teaching their pitchers how to use pine tar to increase their grip on the ball. A better grip means the pitcher can impart more spin and thus get more movement. Now you'll note, if you were paying close attention, and I can hardly blame you if you weren't, that Bauer did not mention the Houston Astros in his tweet. Nonetheless, several Astros fired back on Twitter, putting me in mind of this sort of conversation, where the mom says, somebody ate four cookies, and the kid says, it wasn't me, 
and besides, I was hungry. One of the responses came from Lance McCullers, who tweeted, and I quote, Jealousy isn't a good look on you, my man. You have great stuff and have worked hard for it like the rest of us. No need for this. I will ask, though, because my spin rate and spin axis on my four seam is ass. He spelled ass A dollar sign dollar sign, apparently to get outside Twitter's rules against vulgarity. Before I go on, is ass now a complimentary thing to say about something? When I was Lance McCullers' age, which admittedly is when Human League and Soft Cell were the future of music, saying to a guy, hey, your car is ass, would likely get you a punch in the nose. Or, at the very least, a snide reply that your own ride, a rusty 12-year-old Datsun 510, was not exactly a Maserati either. Also, it's pretty interesting that McCullers is so aware of his spin rate and his spin axis, which indicates how much these super-advanced stats are penetrating the often-closed culture of baseball. Anyway, Cole's spin rate is indeed up this year. StatCast data at BaseballSavant.com show his four-seam fastball spin is up by about 200 RPM, which is about 9%, and his curve spin rate is up by about 4%. Why does that matter? Experts say the benefit of added spin is most pronounced on four-seamers and curves. Cole is seeing some benefit in the movement of those two pitches. His player card at brooksbaseball.net says his four-seamer has a little more of what experts call ride. It sinks less as it approaches the plate than hitters expect. The result is more swing and miss and more fly balls. And the curveball is breaking more sharply down and in to left-handed hitters, with about two and a half inches more vertical drop and a little more horizontal movement. And while his slider spin rate is up only 3%, those results are pretty good as well. Not a lot of change in vertical movement, but an inch and a half more horizontal. Perhaps not coincidentally, Cole has changed his pitch mix. He's throwing a lot more curves and sliders, especially to left-handed hitters, and a lot fewer change-ups. For the record, Houston starter Justin Verlander has also shown slightly higher spin rates, though the increase was so small that it seems insignificant. There are some alternative explanations for Cole's extraordinary debut success thus far. Colin McHugh, his teammate, suggested it might be coaching, although most websites devoted to studying spin rate say that it can't be coached. That said, the Driveline site does have a piece explaining that the grip itself can affect spin. Changing finger positions can cause changes in the spin rate, but the changes in their experiment was always to lower the spin rate relative to the standard four-seam grip. Some observers have suggested that the Houston front office, which is a very smart group, so advanced that another team hacked their computers one time, is deliberately selecting for spin rate and identified Cole as a target in the belief they could enhance his. But how to enhance spin rate is the question of the moment. It is possible that pine tar is involved, because it seems an open secret that a lot of pitchers are using the stuff all the time, even though it's illegal, and that umpires know they're doing it and are basically turning the blind eye. Some of the umps have several blind eyes to choose from. As well, Major League Baseball itself also knows the pitchers are using pine tar and is also ignoring it, even when a baseball finds itself stuck onto Yadier Molina's chest protector. Catchers, you see, also put the goo on the ball to help the pitchers. You've probably seen the highlight clip of Molina standing there sheepishly with the ball welded to his stomach. If you watch MLB TV, you've probably seen the clip 1,826 times, this week alone. 
One of the first thoughts that struck me in all of this was that increasing the friction between fingers and ball could also cause an increase in blisters. Aaron Sanchez's spin rate this year when he's not having blister trouble is down about 5% from last year when he famously was having blister issues. Bauer has said pine tar and other sticky substances of any kind should simply be allowed, in part because of the safety issue. Improving the grip on the ball gives pitchers a little better control, especially in colder weather like we've seen so far this year. As well, the baseballs themselves this year are reportedly a little more slippery and harder to grip, and Major League Baseball has asked the ball supplier Rawlings to find a way to increase the tackiness of the leather. In the end, the short explanation of the entire spin rate issue is, it's still hard to say. Despite all of the effort being expended to get into the details, the phenomenon is still relatively poorly understood. I expect that further study, especially with super slow motion video, might reveal some of the answers. And I can hardly wait. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt, Master Notes columnist at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Thursday in the weekly free Baseball HQ e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. You can also read Master Notes for free at the Baseball HQ website. And of course, we also have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, May the 4th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 15 of the 2018 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guest for this Friday edition of the show, Brent Hershey, co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com. Brent is a top-notch fantasy player, and he does a great job on the HQ scouting team and as a co-general manager, helping make BaseballHQ.com the best fantasy baseball website in the business. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our Minor League Minute was presented by Minor Leagues Analyst Rob Gordon. Our Frequent Flyer commentator was Baseball HQ Analyst Alex Becky. And our Pitcher Matchups report was presented by Baseball HQ Pitcher Matchups Analyst Greg Fishwick. Thanks as well to Todd Zola, our regular guest on Talk with Todd. I'm Patrick Davitt, your Master Notes commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. And remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook. We have a Twitter feed, at Baseball HQ. And you can follow me on my personal Twitter feed, at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. And take a second to go to iTunes or Stitcher or Pocket Cast, wherever you get your podcast, and leave us a solid rating. It really does help us attract new listeners, and that helps us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next Friday with another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. And so long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.